Um, sorry, I got a little distracted there. Where do we leave off? Um, what were we talking about? Uh, it was we we talked about Mr. Brent, David Brent, and the welcome. Oh, yeah. The welcome. Um, but yeah. those moments, like those moments of like the ridiculousness of reading a children's book to an adult on their first day of their like first adult. Well, it wasn't my first adult job, but it was it was the first job of my what became so far my career. Right. The fact that you can do that. And that that happened to me is a beautiful thing because it's so absurd, it's so ridiculous to read literally a children's book to a grown adult to welcome them into their profession, right? Um, I love that, like those clashing worlds of adulthood uh, and childhood, you know, like where those two lives are commingling within the same person, right? Because it did connect with me. It, it made an impact on me, and I still remember it as my introduction into the teaching profession in my 20s. Like, I was, I was in my 20s at the time, and I was read a children's book, and that was my introduction into this crazy, chaotic, contradictory, <laughs> absurd profession of teaching the youth of the world. But you did go places. The book was more prophetic than anything. You have, maybe he saw yeah, that in you. Why. Maybe yeah. David yeah. Brent saw that in you. You've, you've gone places. Yeah. Well, and I have, and that that is one thing that, one experience that I have that you two haven't had yet, because I've I've been to three different schools since we worked at a school together. It's because he got you the book when you came yeah. into the. What, if you got a book from Mr. Brent? I, I'd be teaching at Oxford, probably, quite honestly. Professor yeah, at Oxford. Most but, likely. Uh, yeah. Most likely. Yes, it is. <laughs> I'd watch England lose in a, in a real English pub rather than uh-huh. Calgary pub. I don't think I'd be receiving, uh, oh, the places you go. I think I'd get, like, the Grapes of Wrath. Or... Well, do you think maybe <laughs> it was me? Wine? Like... Do you I seem vulnerable? Yeah. Did always you, what's that? Grapes of Wrath, was that around when you no, went through? No, I don't like American literature. Oh Did you get that in high school? Yep, that's what I got for high school. Didn't oh. you read Of Mice and Men? No. Mm-hmm. Nope. To be fair, neither did I. I think that was... I didn't read it in high school, but I read it. Fun fact, Infectious and I went to the same high school, so we probably read a lot of the same... No, you didn't. No. We probably read a lot of the same... Um, we had, we had the we same, did, teacher same teacher for at least same one text, year. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's madness. I know it's it's pretty crazy. Be Anyone I know? Yeah. No. Okay. No. No. Not at the time. Um, why did he read it to you? Maybe was it David Brent's first year as principal there? There, yes. That oh, could be it. Oh, that's it. That's probably yeah. it. Yeah. And then yeah. once the teacher started pouring in, didn't have enough. Uh, Maybe that's true. Because how many new, how many right. teachers came in year after year? Plus, he had to play a role in all my plays. Right. <laughs> That's the best part about David Brent. He was in yes. every single one of the plays I put on. And I would like to brought the doghouse. Remember? Mm-hmm. Oh, this thing's so heavy. Yeah, he ad libbed. Oh, right. That was the best. Ad libbed mm-hmm. all his lines. I got this one. I got this one, guys. <laughs> David Brent played Elvis. Do you want to crack? He didn't right. play Elvis. Didn't he play? Uh, the was Teen Angel. You played. Yes. You played, played the Teen, Teen Angel. Angel. He played Elvis. Yeah, I remember. Teen Angel rehearsing, yeah. and yeah, he you're right. He didn't rehearse. He was just like. He was more concerned about putting on like a funny wig and like a white suit. Oh, he crushed it. You both crushed it. I crushed it. I played yeah, more like. I think so. Yeah, no, you played Dean it legit. <laughs> Debonair. That's right. Yeah. Simplistic. True beauty school dropout. Pardon? Did the cat show back up? 
I didn't hear it, no. Nope. Hello, humans, and welcome to the Hello Calgary podcast. Freedom of voice. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> no cast clinic. My son broke his leg. How did he so do that, by the way? Rugby. Oh, ouch. No. Yeah. He laid the, the beat down, hit, made the hit, but then they rucked back over the other direction and crushed his ankle. Oh, my gosh. I love that yeah, he plays awful. rugby, though. I think that's great. Yep, pretty bold. Yeah, it's a good game. It's, but, it's a good uh, game. bad time to break your ankles because of the summer. growth, summer, growth. all that. Mm-hmm. But he did say, like, I'm glad I broke it now, not at winter. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, it would have been way worse. Yeah. So how's he getting around? Crutches? Uh, that and got a little scooter. And then... My other buddy is going to hook him up with like an all-terrain scooter Ooh. because he's going to Ireland and needs some kind of mobility, something That's crazy. more. It's brutal. I didn't realize how debilitating a broken leg is. Never broken mm. a leg? Nope. Never Me. broke a bone. Me neither. Really? I've never oh. broken a bone either. I broke my arm. Yeah. Yeah. Right Weak. or left? <laughs> Jumping over a fence. Right arm, left arm? Oh, sorry, left. Oh, so it didn't impact a lot of daily activity. No, well, just nightly. I was in the hospital for three days. <laughs> I broke it. How badly did you break here in the hospital for three days? Yeah, well, I was wearing a sweatshirt <laughs> at the time, and apparently you could see it poking. Oh, actually, yeah. like oh. sticking out. Yeah, and the x ray showed I still have scars. Can you see the scars? Yeah, yeah. Two dots? Yeah. They had pins in there. Oh. It was my elbow. It's still, listen. Jumping a fence, you busted it that you bad. Hear that? What were you doing? Like, oh. yes, I hear that. That's gross. Stop that. Um, what were you escaping? We were playing tag or something, and uh, it was in, we lived in the Hillhurst oh. community. We had like a four foot fence, but on the other side of it was the sidewalk, and so I, I climbed over it, tripped as I was, uh. I would usually hop. My foot caught, and I fell, caught myself on the elbow. Smashed it. And off. yeah. And actually, I had some really interesting hallucinations in the hospital. Like, I think we were talking about The Wizard of Oz. <laughs> And um, the movie was playing in the hospital room somewhere. And I remember, like, just the world of The Wizard of Oz just kind of got into my dreams and my wakefulness. Because I think I was on some painkillers. I was going to say, first morphine trip? I guess it must have been. (laughs) But years and years later, you would produce and direct The Wizard of Oz in a school play. This is is some surreal bullshit right here. Full circle. Wow. Yeah. It's like nature finds a way. It's like yeah. Jurassic Park, right? Nature finds a way. Life That's finds right. a way. Yeah. yeah. True, Goldblum. True. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, so is the book, mm-hmm. and this brings us to our next segment, which is worst moment, best moments. Yeah. Is that your best moment in teaching? No. That moment right there? No. Oh. Not at all. It was well, a good moment. It was a memorable moment. It was my introductory moment, but I wouldn't call it my best moment. Wow. Elucidate us. Is that right? It's all right. <laughs> English teachers, can I say that? Elucidate us. Uh, no, nah, it's pretty weak. It's like elucidate. You don't say elucidate us. But I want to be elucidated. Elucid. It reminds Carry me, it reminds me of uh, Young Frankenstein. Elucidate me. Or elevate me. <laughs> Is that it what is. it was? Yeah. Uh I don't know if I could pick a moment. Like, it might sound like a cop-out to say I can't pick a moment, but I, I know that... Oh, hi, sweetie. 
No, this ain't the pet companionship episode. <laughs> you can go now. But I can, no. I can say sweetie to your dog. You can. She's gonna stop barking at everything. I guess I could talk about the best moments. I sure. could generalize, like. The it, best, is, it is tough because, like, to, yeah. to pick a very specific moment, uh-huh. I think we'd all be hard pressed. But general yeah. moments are the moments when I am surprised by a student or a group of students and the ideas they bring forward and the insights that they have about life and literature. Um, So I love having discussion. I love discussing literature that we're reading. And I love the creative side of teaching English. And so when students surprise me by how creative they are or how insightful they are or how compassionate they are um, or how like up for it they are you know like uh, I can think of moments for example when we took over the local Starbucks for a poetry slam hmm. I don't even I still don't even know how we got away with that yeah. <laughs> I, I don't even know like put the put the elbow work in man that's just a bit of was that time. you? you did that yeah that was we Esau. did we did yeah. it. I think we walked over well, one day. We asked. And it was after school. It wasn't so just me. No. It wasn't a school activity. I don't even know if it was a sanctioned extracurricular thing that we did. Uh, yeah. But basically, you brought your mic and the... Yeah, mic and an and amp. The, and the amp. Mm-hmm. And we took over that Starbucks for a couple of hours. And... We packed the house. We did. That it was, was ridiculous. Everyone was the wearing their t-shirts. Of our poetry t- and yeah. our t-shirts. Yes. Well, and this was before Poetry Slam was a thing. This was mm-hmm. before there was like an, or, like nowadays there's an organized like school competition where every school can compete. This was... I would say this was 2010 maybe? 2010? Does that uh, sound about right? I started 2008. This is probably 2009. Could have been 2009. But it literally was like the first of its kind. It was like yeah. we just had a whole bunch of people who wanted to read some poetry mm-hmm. and we brought them together from our school to read poetry. Yeah, because Can You Hear Me Now didn't start till 2014. The first yeah, year was absolutely. 2014. So this was, this was five years before the provincial poetry slam even existed. To be fair, Can You Hear Me Now owes probably everything to, well, probably infectious, but us <laughs> in general. I mean, we, we, remember, we, do you remember we all did a, uh, we did a poetry slam? Yeah. Uh, professional growth. Yeah, game. we wrote the document. What was it? it was, oh, we, I don't know if we could say the well, we could say the initials like CSSD PPSS. It like it was like this right. seven or eight letter acronym for whatever poetry slam society yeah, or something. And we we had we had like two days of professional development time given to us to work on this document and it ended up getting used used and we ended up hosting our poetry slam and then it became <laughs> a thing within the, the district like don't want to pat ourselves on the back too much but you should <laughs> pat yourself on the back poetry because slam that's the best of us owes its it existence is. to us honestly maybe that guy <laughs> up from uh, robert thirsk well there's a lot of people who keep it going right now like i don't want to name names but there are people. Didn't he, uh, you know what I mean? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know who you're talking about. Yeah. Right. We haven't seen him for a while. 
Yeah, 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 yeah. That's right. That's the one. Yeah. yeah the first guy. The yes. first man. Okay. We'll call him the first man. That's yeah. what happened. Yeah, one yeah. of... Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of subtext here that we can't fill in, but yeah, there are some things that happened. Yeah. Things happen. Yeah. And that that's also one of the things, right? Because regardless of what you th- of what people think it's a personal relationship that is created um, between and among students and, and teachers right and there are boundaries but they're always in flux right like like we hit, going to the Starbucks taking a whole group of students to a Starbucks is something that maybe no one would have thought to do right um, which again we never ask permission for <laughs> right um, these are things yeah that you probably couldn't get away with nowadays maybe not probably not it's an innocent it, thing we're gonna take but everything has been kind of shut down from right because of precedence oh absolutely so it's very difficult yeah. to do anything like this and the moment you go down the path of like again, can I do this you've put someone on the hook mm-hmm. to give you permission that's our that's the difference between our like first year teaching yeah. and yeah. now is that we, we've gone from innocence to experience, right? In yep. our in the age of innocence, we can do whatever we want because we don't know better. And mm. we become more cautious with experience. That's right. Not bad, just more cautious. Just more like, sorry guys, I cannot take you to Starbucks because this, 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 i.e. a field trip form. Yeah. <laughs> Technically, you need to take, yeah. if for instance you're taking four classes of grade sevens to the Starbucks across the street <laughs> because the admin tells you to watch the grade sevens for 48 minutes, you legally cannot take them across the street to a Starbucks. Now, mm. did you know that, um, Profit? Uh, prior to taking them there? No. No, me neither. No. <laughs> you know that's we found how out? I found these things When out. we got back. Yeah. Yeah. That's how you learn. Did you take the kids <laughs> to Starbucks? Yes. It's a deposition. <laughs> But that's a better person. That's a real person who's just like, well, they've told me to take care of you, and we're gonna go do something awesome. Well, what were we supposed mm-hmm. to do? Like, you got it. They what were standing are we to do? like, honestly, they're like, watch, watch, 120 kids for 48 minutes. We're like, okay, let's go to Starbucks, kids. You want a Starbucks? Let's go. Yeah. yeah. We didn't buy them anything. They bought their own thing. But once you get experience, you don't do those awesome things. Then anymore. you don't know you can't do it exactly. And you do become just like the rest of the institution, Ish. which is like, okay, let's uh, go into this holding pattern. Mm-hmm. add something educational sprinkle in a little bit of professionalism like there is something about that that I'm like yeah I do it well I don't like me as much as I used to like me <laughs> right yeah. that yeah. other teacher was more awesome he he was a braver more <laughs> insane individual and oftentimes wasn't doing the job but did something much more I don't know important sometimes yeah <laughs> than the job yeah. That maybe impacted people's lives more. And, and here's where that line and those boundaries, maybe I'm doing things that, you know, there's a reason why you shouldn't be doing these things. Like if someone got hurt on that field trip, yeah, it's on me. And now I don't which, have any leg to stand on. We right? never yeah. even thought of that. Like no, we, you wouldn't think We were walking a block, one block, you, got it. you know, across the street to take the kids to Starbucks because we're like, you guys want to go to Starbucks? Like, I don't know. Let's just go. But I'll tell you, that is a better world. Yeah. Yeah. The 80s was the better decade <laughs> for a reason. Because you'd leave the house with no cell phone, 
which meant you were completely responsible for anything that happened to you. Yeah. And things happened. And you just accepted that, like, sometimes horrible things happen, but for the most part, we were able to leave our doors open. Mm-hmm. For the most part, there was a level of trust within the community and people that I, I don't think there was as much of a concern if a class went to a coffee shop or something during the middle of school because there's nothing to do at the end of the year. Yeah. But something happened somewhere, and now you need that form, and now... Do you know what I mean? People aren't mm-hmm. understanding. Well, there is no community between me and the parents. There's litigation. Yeah. There's... Right? There's a lot of There's other accountability. things. Accountability. It's yeah. like when, when David Brent told us a story about why you should not leave your room unattended. That's right. Right? Because the teacher leaves the room unattended. And I know what happens. Yeah, we all know what happens, right? Instantly, almost, it happens. Yeah, like yeah. right away. Yeah. yeah. It's like they were waiting for it. It's a yeah. given. Yeah. And you know, it's this, a fellatio party. This, um, no, it's more than that. <laughs> oh, I heard it was a fellatio party. Oh, no, it was, uh, I mean, it's a proper podcast. I shouldn't say it, right? Like, I don't know. I mean, you could robot voice it out. Yeah. It depends on how filthy this is going to be. Dang. It was a finger blasting party. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> right in the back of the room, apparently. Oh. That's a lot easier to hide. Right. My story. Oh, yeah. Like, I can't. I, get, I was like, come on. Come on. No oh, way. No one believes that story. We think that's just a story that David Brent made up. Honestly. It could have been. It, it felt that way. It I felt think like it's an was, elaboration. Uh, definitely. Maybe. I think there's, there's things. There's a cautionary tale. Yes. And that's why you never leave your classroom. <laughs> you brought in the one-armed men. Uh, Rest of development. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus. But uh, can I read something? Is it a nice segue? I think it relates. It's not a poem. It's from Hermeneutics, Facts and Interpretation in the Age of Information. And so this is what, okay, it's a, this is what uh, John D. Caputo says. He's a, he's a researcher and he says, um, when teachers raise genuine questions with their students, no one is conducting. Everyone is in a state of genuine searching ignorance. And then further on down, the outcome is not programmable and certainly not measurable or calculable. Attempting to evaluate education by its strictly measurable outcomes, as in outcomes-based education, which involves incessant and distracting testing, a very prevalent practice in the U.S. and Canada, especially Alberta, is a distortion of the event, a disaster for education, and a failure to appreciate the rigor of the educational scene. He calls it a distortion of the event. And I think events are what make up experiences in education and that is what is meaningful in a learning experience in a school it's the events that occur right um like going to starbucks or any coffee shop right to do a poetry slam is a memorable event and it means something different to everyone who was there we have our experience of it we think it's really cool because we're the teachers who organized it right but what did it mean for the student who won the slam, right? Or the, the ones who look at their yearbook and see themselves in that picture. And or who they're, remember... They're one of only 30 kids in that particular picture. Yeah. And that's it. If you ask a student what they remember about junior high, they're not going to remember, like, all junior high. They'll have no. two, three events yeah. that they remember. And every student will have a different event. One will remember a homeroom something. Mm-hmm. One will remember a... Uh, like 
something that happened in a particular class when a teacher said something or one will remember going to Starbucks. Yeah. Right? They've all got different events they remember. No one remembers their collective junior high experience. Yeah, no one and and you shouldn't, right? Because it's like it's a part of your life. Nobody remembers everything or nobody thinks of everything as being totally significant. But then things like math. Hmm? Like it's not mm-hmm. memorable. You just right. learn it and you learn it goes it. you go through it. Yeah. Is that more relevant? Like is that in some ways, those skills are measurable yes. and necessary for later in life in certain yes. aspects. False. I use aspects. math never. You don't deal in money ever? No? You don't ever measure anything? No, it's all done on the computer. What the heck is happening see. inside there? There's like a war going on inside this house. I only hear it through my headphones. Me too, and one kid's got a broken leg. It's a not fair fight. I'm going to just shut one of those windows. Sure. Shut a window here. Should we do a little da 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 did you mean off? Is that it? Did I hit it? Oh my god, that's not even my house. It's out in the. Oh, it's the neighbors. Are we still recording? I don't know. I was going to ask you that. Let's proceed as though we are. Maybe they should know we're doing a podcast. <laughs> but, yeah, you. you sh- I mean, I guess the thing about like math or science, those are just facts that you right. remember. Mm hmm. Um, which are valuable, which are meaningful. Uh-huh. But yeah, they are, and we do absorb those, and we learn those, right? But if, if, if teaching and school was only about having a certain skill set or a certain body of knowledge, there's a more efficient way to go about that. You know what I mean? Like, there is a more efficient way to go about that. It's about human experience. Mm-hmm. That's what it's about. And Caputo goes on to say, he says... One day a teacher asked a question or made a remark that caught the student's attention, which set off a slow chain reaction that did not surface there and then, but only much later. By then the teacher has completely forgotten the remark and maybe even the student has too. It is only years later that this restlessness and suspicion whose source the student can no longer identify comes to fruition. The student's life has been transformed. An event has happened, and nobody can say how. Maybe the very best teachers are ones who set off quiet and unobserved revolutions that no one noticed at the time, and no one can remember later. And this is, I mean, this is the hardest part of being a teacher, is that, I mean, I always thought that if I weren't a teacher, I'd like to be a a furniture mover, because Mm -hmm. it's manual labor. My muscles could do them easily yeah. but not just be for show exactly my muscles right now they're just show like I need to make them like more utilitarian These but pythons <laughs> gotta work but being a mover you know exactly the progress you've made and what you've done by yeah. the end of the day you can say I have moved all these furnitures from this house into the truck and the whole thing is empty you see mm-hmm. your accomplishment as a teacher you don't see what you've done no. you know what I mean like you, you may make yep. a difference in a, in, a, in a student's life, and you will never, ever know it. And that's kind of the very frustrating yet rewarding thing is mm-hmm. that we do what we do. And, I mean, there have been some kids who honestly, like, I felt perhaps I did not make a connection with as much as I did other students. Yeah. But years later, like 10 years later, you know, they're able to say, you know what? Like, you see them working at a bar or at a restaurant. They say, you know what? You, you were a really great teacher. Thank you. And I'm like, really? Because I, I really don't remember talking to you as much or like 
Mm-hmm. Like I, I, I know you don't I spent know the impact, yeah. Exactly. And you never understand the impact you've done. And I guarantee there are hundreds of students that we've all made impacts with and to that we will never ever know. You know, because it's not immediate. You don't see it happen yeah. when you're teaching. There's and no light that goes off when you're teaching above their head and they're like, impact made. It doesn't happen. And vice versa too. I think it happens the other way around, you know, because I have yep. I have learned things from my students, you know, things about how to be a human, but also just simple things like music suggestions, you know, or movies they've watched, books they've read. You know, if, if we're curious about what they bring to the table as well, mm-hmm. we can gain from that too, right? Absolutely. And then that, it's a, it's a circle, you know, like we learn from them, they learn from us. And none of it can be pre determined really i mean there is a curriculum i think the curriculum anchors us it's our reason for being there like it's what brings us together it's what puts us in the walls of the classroom smile there easy (laughs) but it's not it's like you show what is that saying you come for the bit of a scoff i think he's giving a bit of a scoff fuck fuck the curriculum it's like honestly look we teach science but then how do you control this beast we're gonna teach it we're gonna teach it well that's our job and we'll do it you know what I mean? Like okay, well, if they but said, if you didn't have that, where where do you anchor everything? How do you know what the yeah. people before you and after you taught? You need something, some kind of document to kind of center us all. But mm-hmm. I feel <laughs> I'm not trying to segue out of what you were just talking about. Yeah. But I kind of feel that curriculum right now is not matching to the current society we live in. The current society is a yeah. lot faster, changing, mm-hmm. growing. Are you saying that grade twos don't need to know about? like Genghis Khan and the Mongol expansion <laughs> in the 12th century because that's what our government mandates in the curriculum. Well, why are they mandating curriculum. these, right? So what's mm-hmm. the purpose? Who's in charge of what we're teaching oh, these kids? Some, this is the stuff moving it all yeah. forward. Someone who's not a teacher is mandating it with their right-wing fucking So everyone fascist. has an agenda, right? Jesus, I don't even know what theirs <laughs> wow. is. Theirs is just to fuck us up. Shit honestly. just got political. Yeah, just shit the just worst. got real. I'm I, sorry, but... I think, okay, I don't care what the curriculum is. To be honest with you, I don't think it matters that much. Me neither. I think it's what brings us together. So it's kind of actually <laughs> interesting because you had a very similar reaction when we were doing our Poetry Dead episode and I brought up the idea of foreign poetry and Evan almost chewed his hand off, oh, yeah, right? Yeah. And I don't like it. It's because... And, and my like reason it. for liking form poetry as a creative exercise is the same reason for thinking that the curriculum is necessary because it provides us with um, just the amount of structure needed to put us in the situation where real stuff can happen, right? Form poetry. Form poetry. Not foreign poetry. No, no, form. Right. Yes, yeah, sorry, thank you for clarifying. Just making sure? Like no, because it is very important for a student <laughs> born in 21st century Canada to learn the five seven five syllable structure of a haiku, but an but, ancient Japanese form of poetry that has I say, no relevance to their life. But if I say write a glossa poem, choosing four lines from a poem you love and write your own poem using this format, and you write a beautiful poem, the the structure has given you the box in which to create yep. create your creation. Yeah, right? right. If I just said hey write a poem. It's like, well, I can't run a poem. Well, obviously you can't do that. You have to give them structure. You have to show them. I mean, now we're getting way off topic. You show them what free verse poetry is. You show them how free verse poetry comes about. You show them how, of course, free verse poetry can be inspired by Mm -hmm. structure. Um, and you ever then see someone take try that to play away. free verse music without ever playing structured music? You it's ever called, see that? It's called jazz. 
Uh, jazz has structure. It's a game. It's a game. It's about play. It's about, it's a, like, I don't want to use the sandbox cliche, but I'll use it, right? It's about giving us, like, you learn yeah. the instrument so you can play music on it. You play a bunch of classical music, not because you love classical, and that's what you plan to play, so you learn the techniques associated with it. Right. Now, I'll tell you, that classical music destroys the soul <laughs> as you do it. So there's sometimes when you're putting them in those boxes yeah. where it just crushes you. You're just like, I can't get out of this box. This is what they expect me to write, mm -hmm. right? And your approach of just free verse allows you the openness to, is that your argument? Like you're actually expressing yourself without the confines of structure. Well, especially in, in like a 21st society where, I mean, structure is being broken down every day right like we see mm -hmm. i mean like in film and everything so like everything. things like charlie chaplin just oh, no. kick it out of here get that garbage <laughs> out of here maddie d when did i say that i'm just saying it's the same kind of thing that. that's old like what relevance would oh, charlie saying... chaplin have in today's <laughs> world of film the same way all these structured poems oh, well, are a piece of okay. imprisoning well charlie chaplin obviously is the greatest thing to happen to film ever and you know this and you're saying Isn't this because ba -da -ba -ba -ba. don't you think <laughs> this man got a 17 minute standing ovation when the academy finally recognized hey, him for his achievement in film did you just heard gain that two last minutes? episode I thought it was 15 minutes no it was always 17 <laughs> okay, okay let, I'll, I'm going to throw something out there okay what's a sport that you're passionate about <laughs> soccer right are there rules to that game yes there are rules. How long has that game been around? hundred years? More? Yeah. I, I don't know. I'll take your word for it, right? Okay. I think they should just run around on the field willy-nilly. Yeah. You know? With the ball? Maybe with the ball? Maybe with oh, the ball. If someone brings a ball. That's how... <laughs> 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 it's that's more how, meaningful. That's how rugby came about. <laughs> Some guy got tired. I was like, yeah, fuck this. I'm running with it. No, it's straight up how rugby came about. Yeah. He's like, I'm picking this ball up. He got tired of kicking it. His feet didn't work too well, I guess. Okay. It's about tension. It's about the tension of form versus creativity or spontaneity versus pre-planned lessons, right? So the lesson plan is the structure in which all the spontaneity can occur. And if you throw, if, for example, like I don't think soccer in its current version is what it was when the first person decided to start soccer. No, because right? the English were good at it back right. then. Just like I was playing, we were on vacation, we were playing card games and I brought the Hoyle's book of rules for card games with mm. me there are hundreds of different versions of rummy and that's because rummy is like a type of game and then people are, take that the basic rules of rummy and they decide oh, you know I, I like this element of it but it would be so much more intense if this element was added to it right and so you change the rules but the rules are always there because it's the tension against the rules that keeps it interesting it's like and how you gonna do what i like how you innovate cocktails and how you mm -hmm. make cocktails, how like a Negroni can become like um, a Mezcal Negroni or mm -hmm. a something else kind of Negroni, right? You replace the spirit with something else. Yes. You're breaking the rules. Yes. I understand what you're saying. Uh -huh. I'm but just, so I mean, my, my whole point was I just prefer free verse poetry <laughs> over, you know, a limerick. But uh, anyway. But to bring it back to curriculum. Mm -hmm the structure of what we're teaching is locked into one of these structures. Yeah. And that's my issue. Can is I ask, it's not like we're... Can I ask you a question? What's that? Do you know your curriculum? Do I know my curriculum? Yeah, like... No, like what honest, I like, teach. Not everybody else's curriculum. No, I know but, what I no, teach. No, no, but be, be honest. Like, 
have you read your curriculum? I went through my curriculum mm-hmm. and I matched it up to everything I taught. Yeah. And I made my long-term plans work. Well, no, it's, it's straight up the same with, right? I mean, English is a lot easier. I mean, what? But it's justification. You just have to harder. demonstrate that you are That's covering exactly all the material. It. Like, right? here's the thing. English is kind of like the, the best for curriculum because honestly, whatever they put in the curriculum doesn't matter because all they need to do is read, write, speak, listen, view, represent. That's all they need to do, mm-hmm. right? And I know that within there somewhere, I'm going to hit any outcome that is in the curriculum. Yeah. I may not know what that outcome is, but if someone pointed and said, did you do this? I could easily say, well, yes, I have, right? Yeah. In, in some aspect that I did. That's what makes English easy. So now, I, I mean, within the curriculum, though, it does say that you have to teach certain books. Nope. You have to, does it? Does nope. it? What does it say to you? Well, in high school, there's a bit more... Like, I think certain types of books, like you need to teach a certain like, amount of poetry. I mean, for instance, yeah, for instance, in, I think in our curriculum it says you have to teach, like, for instance, irony. Mm-hmm. Like, that at some level students will understand what irony is. Yeah. Now, I could do that in any numerous ways. I could literally define irony. Mm-hmm. I could read a poem and discuss irony. I could read a story and discuss irony. Or I could discuss irony throughout the entire year in a variety of different, like, texts that we look at. Just... And at some level, I will have, at some point, touched on irony, right? It is a very vague curriculum, mm-hmm. which is why when a new curriculum comes out that says, oh, you have to do this, it doesn't matter because I know I've done it. Yeah. Science would be much more specific. Yeah, yeah. and because say, it's supposed to build upon all these different concepts. Yeah, like grade time. seven, you need to know geological structures. In grade eight, you need to know whatever, right? Like, and maybe, the, yeah, there is a difference in the content that we're teaching here. I do feel, though, that for a lot of subjects, including social studies, maybe not math as much, um, there's changes Mm -hmm. that are occurring rapidly in today's world. Yeah. And these outlooks have to be updated constantly. So the idea of a static curriculum, to me, is a weird, antiquated solution. And I don't know why we don't have a living curriculum Mm -hmm. that really responds to what's actually happening. Now, what are we trying to accomplish? This This is also where it comes from, is what is everyone's kind of agenda? Yeah. What are we trying to teach these kids? Are we trying to teach them to be good human resources? Are we supposed to be making well-rounded people mm-hmm. that can exist in this world and appreciate art and sports and all the different things life has to offer? Like, what are we really trying to accomplish uh, in this educational system? What's yeah. the point? And there's, I think, infectious use the word tension. I think there is that kind of tension between, like, what a curriculum says and what it... I mean, look, we're all teachers... We all want, we, we teach students, right? Not subjects. We want the students to become, for me, well-rounded, nice individuals. I want them to be discerning. I want them to be critical thinkers. I want them to question what they see. Mm-hmm. That, that's what I want them to become. Yeah. And, I mean, when a curriculum says, like, you have to teach them this, then there's obviously a tension between a teacher who wants them to become well-rounded, perhaps, or something. If they say, I don't know, like I go back to the Mongol thing, because this new curriculum wants grade twos to understand the Mongol Empire and Genghis Khan. Mm -hmm. For, I think a curriculum should be divided around like big ideas, not specific examples, not Genghis Khan, not like the Silk Road. Maybe the big idea is like interaction or... um, the big idea is um, consumerism or there's some big idea that is actually applicable to 
human society, right? Things like interaction, things like consumerism, things mm-hmm. like um, trucks, isolation, trucks. Like obviously. the truck that just drove by. Yeah, it was a loud truck. Like they're always gonna <laughs> yeah. guzzler. Uh, Jason Kenny probably drove that. <laughs> probably. Um, they're always gonna be there. So I think mm-hmm. curric- I, I think tr- curriculum should look at like big um, ideas or things that happen in life that will never change, like interaction, consumerism, appreciation of art, or isolation, conflict, things like that. Does that make sense? Yeah, Yeah, but that gives, I guess, are you putting a lot more on the teacher to, to like, find a way to demonstrate these things, or how... But how any, controlling is the curriculum? How detailed? Like, what do we get? What level are we getting to? Depends on the curriculum itself. Again, the mm-hmm. English one, it's not that detailed. It really isn't. Yeah. Because my understanding is that the Alberta curriculum is a commodity that is being sold worldwide. That not, we actually have a <laughs> curriculum that is good enough that other people want to buy it from. Not us. anymore. Yeah. International schools. Not with the new one. Right. The UCP fucked up. In fact, didn't we but buy... But that's not in play yet. Didn't we buy a curriculum? Like, didn't Alberta purchase its new curriculum from Nazi some Germany? state? <laughs> Alabama? Like Georgia? Maybe. I don't know. Is there a website for that? I don't know. But they... I don't, probably look it up. I don't, like... I think it does, it does matter. It does matter. Especially when you're being told you have to teach certain concepts or certain values. You have to question those. And I think... Easy... Evan, one of the things that one of the words that you used that I really caught on to was the word question, right? You want your students to leave your classroom questioning. And I think questions are something that we take for granted and that it is important. I think learning how to question and learning how to ask questions or just wanting to ask questions is more important than knowing the answers because the answers are going to change. Right, the science curriculum is going to change. Science is going to change. We're going to learn new things, right? Even once you graduate junior high, right? Like you're not going to leave junior high knowing everything you're ever going to know about science or language or, or literature or anything, right? So, but if you are curious about the world, if you're curious about what's in front of you, and you can transfer that curiosity to other parts of your life, then to me, you have what you need. It's the only way you ever change or grow or society changes or grows is by asking questions. Yeah. Right? Question everything. Yeah. And learn how to question. If you're confused about something, don't just say, oh, this is stupid. I don't get it. It's too hard for me. Just ask yourself why you're confused like, and shape that confusion into a question. Can you form a question out of your frustration that you're feeling, right? Like, why is there a new curriculum or why? How do I teach this, Right. Or why do I need to read this, right? It's like, okay, well, you know what? And, and when I'm, I get frustrated when I'm still having those conversations with my grade 12s, where it's like, oh, why are we reading Shakespeare, you know? And I know there's a lot of, like, a lot of teachers, English teachers, who say we should not be using Shakespeare anymore, right? That's, and, that's, that's straight up dumb. <laughs> that's the dumbest Yeah, I mean, I love, I love Shakespeare. I love teaching Shakespeare. I love Can reading the look on my face. Can you see it about to happen? <laughs> What's so great about Shakespeare? Well, uh, I want. <laughs> by the way, there's I a new. I asked that question to two English teachers. What's so film, great about Shakespeare? There's a new film adaptation of Macbeth, oh. directed by Ethan Cohen. Okay. Ooh, cool. Starring uh, Denzel Washington, Jesus, and Francis McDermott. That is heavy hitting. <sighs> yeah. Look at that. Just I mean, she, they always work with McDermott, but well, well she's, she's married, married to, to Joel. Yeah. Oh, yeah. oh. Or Ethan, one of the two. I think Ethan. 
I don't like Frances McDormand. Just throw it out there. Really? I no. I appreciate her, how great she is as an actress. Yeah. Uh-huh. I just don't like. Yeah, just don't like her. It's an appeal to really. Did you watch Nomadland? Really like. Yeah. You know what I hated? Like Nomadland. It. You know what should not have won Best Picture? <laughs> Nomadland. Did it win Best Picture? It sure did. You know what wasn't very good? La La Nomadland. <laughs> Shut. Sorry. Okay. I so we were here's about. the. La La did you see Land Nomadland? Yeah. Did you see Nomadland? Uh, no. Okay. So here's the thing. Nomadland. Yeah, Sorry. that one no. best picture this year. Okay. It's about like these people who consider themselves nomads who don't settle anywhere in like 2008 America, right, right after the recession. I think so. I believe, and they sort of just like they they travel from like nomad camp to nomad camp throughout the United States, and that's the story. It. Cool. The movie itself. Mm-hmm. No, it sucks. The movie itself plays like um, almost a documentary. Yeah. Like, here's the thing. It's a well-made movie, mm-hmm. and the form and content is impeccable. Yeah. Like, the whole the, the whole movie doesn't really have, like, a set purpose. So why much, did you hate it? Yeah, much like you just described something did. really awesome. Yeah. No, I can I can describe it as great art. Doesn't mean I have to like it, though. Like, no, you, okay. you can appreciate something as uh-huh. great art, but yeah. not like it. Okay. Um, like that big red painting in the MoMA? You see, and you know what I love? Do you that like that big one? red painting. Do you like that Absolutely, one? Absolutely, because I can see it. I can. You have no taste. <laughs> <laughs> and that's it. But I mean, it's a big red painting. You I, want one of those? You I want also, one of those? I also see art I, in. Uh, you want one of those? You got me one. Six hundred bucks. I can get you one of those. <laughs> I can also see art in, like, a five-minute, one-shot dance sequence on an LA freeway, which you can't see, right in La La Land. Yeah, I can oh. see it like a plastic bag floating in the wind. It's the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. Hey, that's from... American Beauty. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But anyway, so, like, Nomadland, like, I just, and I just... Despite yeah. all the controversy, still a good movie, by the way. There's no controversy. It's a great movie. Uh, yeah, there's a bit of controversy. There's no <laughs> controversy. controversy. There's the no... the lead actor. Oh. When's the last time you saw Kevin Spacey in a movie? Yeah, oh, it was before exactly. he, like... I know. Yeah. Exactly. But anyway, <laughs> Nomadland, like, I understand it is art. I'm like, uh-huh. yeah, I get it. Like, I understand why it's good. I just didn't like it. Okay, so, and therefore it should not have won Best Picture? Because you called it great art. To be fair, what else was nominated this year for Best Picture? I didn't watch a lot of COVID movies. Um, I almost, like, stepped back question. from, like, I, I almost took a step back from, like, right. art because it's not, yeah. I liked Mank. Did you watch Mank? No. The heck is Mank? No. You didn't like it or you didn't, didn't watch it? I didn't see it. it. Sounds like some kind of Turkish foreign film or something. No, Mank is, this... is the story of Herman Mankiewicz who wrote um, uh, Citizen Kane. Oh. So it's the story of the guy who co-wrote Citizen Kane. And it's who sort of like um, <laughs> Gary Oldman. It's wow, fantastic. I love Gary like, Oldman. I quite liked Mank. I thought it was a good film. That was directed by, um, I want to say David Fincher. It's black mm. and white, mm. right? And I, I like... I like the whole idea of like um, sort of telling the creation of this fictional work of art mm-hmm. through an autobiographical story, yeah. right? Because it's based on a William Randolph Hearst and like Manx's association with William Randolph Hearst. And I thought that just, I, I liked it more. It had more of a story to it, hmm. right? Maybe because I'm not a nomad. I, I want to have like a set purpose. I don't want to just want, and like, you want I'm form. just like. You want more form. I, Sorry, were you more <laughs> critical of... <laughs> that one hurts. But I'm also just hurts. like, Francis McDormick, can you just fucking be happy? Like, <laughs> we get it, bad things happen. Yeah, your husband dies in the film, and then... Sorry, it's a fiction? Like, it's a fiction? Nomadland? Yeah. It is. It is. Oh, lame. But I thought I think, this was, like, for real. That no, was cool if it were for real. But I think there are for real people in oh. the movie. Like, I think a lot of it is... So she's posing as a nomad? No, she's not posing. She's acting. 
as a nomad. As a nomad. And, but joining real nomads. And no. No, no. Oh, I, I think they're, so. They're all actors, I'm all sure. All of them? I'm sure. Okay. I don't know. I'd have to but do it was my just, research. Weird. It's just the okay. whole nomad culture. I just was not just on, like, <laughs> board. Like, I mean, watch it's, it. If Francis McDormand showed up and was just like, hey, everyone, guess what? I'm a nomad. And then, like, you watch that happen. In real life, that'd be really cool. Yeah, it'd be but too But the fact meta. that these yeah. people are like, oh, okay, we're going to pretend to be these people, it's just too pretend. But well, it, it is pretend. It's, I it, can't accept that. So it's kind of like a story that's like, it, it's, yeah, I mean, it's for, like. For the story and what you're telling me, that sounds really boring and stupid. It sounds like there's again, no point to it. And that's, but yeah. that is the point of it. There was no point, which is the point, because nomads, come on, come on. what's the point? Ugh. They have no, and that's, that, I realize that is the point. Mm-hmm. I just, I didn't like it. Just didn't like it. Okay. And that's okay. Yep. I'm not, I don't have to like everything. I didn't like Moonlight. I thought Moonlight was garbage. That one, best picture. Oh, okay. Oh, my God. Can I just, I just, I'm just, just on Wikipedia here. Um, <laughs> and so it says, uh, filming for Nomadland took place over four months in fall 2018, with writer-director Zhao splitting time between the set and pre-production for Eternals. McDormand, Zhao, and other crew members lived out of vans over the course of production. David Strathern and yeah. real life nomads, Linda May, Swanky, and Bob Wells also star. Okay. Real life nomads. Many other. But then they're acting in a movie. Many other real life nomads appear throughout the film. That's, that's all I know. That's all I got. But I think it's a mixture. Like, I think yeah. when I watched the movie, I felt like I was watching a documentary. So did I. Yeah. It did feel very documentary esque. Yeah. Anyway, I just didn't like it. Yeah, and so that's fine. You are entitled to that. Those are awards. Fucking cares about awards. Yeah, I agree. Oh, they mean nothing, honestly. Exactly. We know this. <laughs> School awards, all awards. They're oh. little incentive packages. The same way, but yeah. it it goes into human psychology, right? They're the reason why every video game you play has little boxes you open up yeah. and give you that little reward, little yeah. power up, right? So. And that's the absurdity of it. Because, again, another structure that kind of yeah. leads certain people, not all people, certain people down a road that gives them meaning. Well, and it's self-defeating. It's self-contradictory. It right? Because our, the teaching experience is about experience, about like, I don't know, like the quality of experience that is given, yet everything that defines success in our profession is quantitative, right? So it's like yeah. how, what the marks are on standardized tests, how many students are in a classroom, how much you get paid, you know, like everything to do with our job is measured in some way, in a quantitative way, right? But yeah. the things, the reasons most teachers teach are not are qualitative rather than 100%. quantitative, yep. right? Does do you think Tyler does Tyler Perry have a poem about quantitativeness within the it's, schools? It's possible. I seem to remember. Do you would you happen to know what it was called? That's a really good question. Because um, I know there definitely is one that had to do with quantitativeness. Is it about... Uh, is there a cave involved? Which one is it? <laughs> it's been a while since I've looked at that book. I mean, there's Avoid the Scantron today, but that's just more about how the Scantron <laughs> machine is sometimes a real bitch. Yeah, but the greatest <laughs> machine ever made. That, uh, well, for you, for you, for you, totally. Oh, it's the best. It's like listening to, uh, like, uh, General Franco shooting a whole bunch of, uh, <laughs> rebels outside of a wall. 
Jesus. Well, the new Scantron machines don't even make noise anymore. What? In fact, the new high schools don't even have Scantron machines. Yeah, what are they using? They're using um, software where you print off your bubble sheets and you scan them and it uploads them and it tells you their scores. Yep. So you don't even get the staccato satisfaction. Oh, well, that That's whole... Probably machine gun. No, man, that whole cacophony yeah. is what you love about the Scantron. Absolutely. It's so old. That yeah. thing is so crazy old. The fact that we use it across the board still is insane. <laughs> yeah. Like, so, I just feel that this thing, with curriculum, with the way we teach, teaching is, I'm going to put it out there, teaching is a dead art in the way that mm-hmm. we all understand it. And I feel a great leap forward not to reference certain politicians, but a great leap forward has to happen here. A great movement forward because I feel we're failing our students in Mm -hmm. an academic sense, but also in a social sense. I would agree. And to that point, I'm going to read an ode here from Tyler Perry's book. Nice. Called To the Scantron, which talks again about sort of the failures of that system, the rigidity of this quantitative testing that happens. And it reads... I offer narrow strips of paper, their bubbles freshly shaded in with HB pencil, ordered neatly alphabetically, in sheaves of 27 to 30. They wait on the table next to the photocopier, each one bearing the answer to a slightly different question. I lift them for their moment of judgment, for the staccato laser to lay its lashing on their pale green flesh, leaving bloody hash marks of reason on the carefully etched parchment. One by one, the sacrificial sheets land in the trough of numbers, their imperfections branded in crimson. Thoroughly scathed, they lie limp and ruffled, unable to deny their wrongs. There are no shades of gray. There is no room for error. We want no justification. I mean, that speaks to everything (laughs) that you've just been saying about what's wrong with education the quantitativeness of you know these scantron machines that don't ask kids to explain their answers don't ask them to question don't ask them to like reason why it's just is it a b c or d that's it now there are certain subjects that lend themselves to there's a right and a wrong answer oh mm-hmm. things like math things like science yeah. absolutely and then there's like, other I mean, subjects gravity that are always much more does one for thing. discussion and ambiguity yeah I mean, obviously, everything I say is coming from an English perspective. And everything like, I'm saying up. is coming mostly from my science side. Yeah. Because, you know, mm-hmm. yeah, but my drama side actually coincides with what you're talking about, though. There is a, a general structure that if you don't have something to work on, and all you do is play, like, games or mm-hmm. work on technique or journal about it, it runs dry. It's boring. Yeah. And every, th- every year I teach it, kids are like, what are we going to do? What are we going to make all together? Can we do something big? Can mm-hmm. we put on a play? That's what they want. Yeah. And I just kind of feel like there has to be some kind of uh, way to look at what people want <laughs> and have that yeah. carry them along. Because I, I, I tell you, I am not here to motivate. And I find oftentimes... Aren't you? Not, not so much. I, I don't feel I should. I think the motivation should be, hey, I would like to get the credential at the end of the tunnel. I'm doing this because I want to learn this stuff. I'm doing this for my own purposes. Not because I am inspiring you to look at this boring crap and make you feel it's important, which is oftentimes what I'm doing. Well, that's what education does, though. Education says, 
you have to go into science seven you have to go into english seven you have to go into social seven now forcing people at a particular age to all meet these standards all at the same time just because of your age is nuts like why aren't we separating like if you're really good at english and you're at like a grade 12 level in grade seven then you should be doing that yeah. And if your math is suffering and you're down at a grade four level, I guess you should be working with those people. Right now, the only problem is how do you have one teacher teach 13 kids who are at a grade seven level, five who are at grade four. Yeah. So this is where the no child left behind This is where COVID taught in. me something, is that I don't think me standing in front of a class of all the same age people or all different age people is a good idea trying to tell them all the information like it's 1920. Yeah. I kind of feel that we have these computers and video cameras that we could get the best, the best, who could really bring this story to life, whatever the subject is. Record them. Mm -hmm. Have it done with not just me doing it, but you doing it and him doing it. Now yeah. we've got three choices. Which teacher do you like? Choose your favorite instructor. I'm going to watch a bunch of videos on this topic. Great. I don't understand it. And that's where we, as living teachers, show up. And we're like, oh, it means this. And mm -hmm. we are there to address the specific issues that each person is struggling with. Yeah. I just kind of feel like the stand and deliver is taking up all my time. And I, I, I recorded my lessons last year. I saw those. They were, they were good. How did it go? Yeah. And it gave me time to think they about like, it and give motion and visuals like, and other stuff. I put the time in. Yeah. Uh, there, it's weird to see myself a year later. And <laughs> Anyway, a lot more hair. Um, now or then? Now. Face hair then. <laughs> the face hair then and the <laughs> long hair now. Yeah. It was weird. Pressing play. But by doing that, it actually opened up a whole bunch of time for me to actually go around and deal with people. Yeah. And I just kind of felt like, uh, if they actually watched this on their own time, it wasn't like me pressing play and we all watched together. Mm -hmm. Like, there's better use of time. And they don't all have to be in the classroom at all those times. The only problem is how do you guarantee they watch it on their own time? You can't. No, because that's when the tests come in and we're going to find out if you actually learned anything. Yeah. Like, and that's what tests should be. It's like, do you pass the grade? Like, the, like if you get any certification, right? Do you mm -hmm. pass a grade or do you not know how to drive? <laughs> Should you yeah. not be on the roads? And that's the way I feel about school. It shouldn't be like, but you can't learn this stuff, so we're going to make it so you mm -hmm. can learn this stuff at a modified level to the point that it's no longer meeting standard, I guess. It, yeah. it should mean something. Standards yeah. should mean something. And it doesn't mean that, like, you may struggle with math for the rest of your life. You may never graduate from grade 7 math, but you might be a phenomenal cook, and you've been given the opportunity to become a masterful chef by grade 12. Mm -hmm. Would be great. Because actually you can move forward in life. But doesn't that happen a lot of the time, though? Um, maybe. Like, I don't know. I'd like to think, I mean, I don't know, I like don't know. a lot of the chefs who make it as chefs and like being chefs did it because they were, they were good chefs, right? In school? Yeah, or, or their passion or whatever, like irrespective mm -hmm. of their math. I don't know the answer to that. Like it's like, because I, I understand what you're saying. Our school system is set up where every kid is supposed to achieve a certain amount of like success in every single class to be well-rounded i think is the idea yes yeah. so you're touching upon all these but subjects again, that make you I a well-rounded individual in fucking hell like i will never be able to change a tire on my car i just won't i'll never be able to build an ikea shelf <laughs> yes mm -hmm. you can I won't, no oh no you can let me do yours right now you i already me? flipped mine i'll do it again do you want do you trust me 
<laughs> we'll do it right my, now. With my professional tutelage. Why not? Well, that's I it. will do it to, yeah, uh, infectious <laughs> well, his car, for sure. But, I mean, that's the point. Like, <laughs> oh, um, I, I don't know. Like, I, I agree with you on so many levels there, Esau. Like, I do think it's ridiculous to expect. Like, I think age being the number one number of when you move on mm-hmm. is ridiculous. It's weird. It's like it doesn't make any sense. So everyone must reach this level of standard by this age in their lives on their birthday, right? The fact that we, we don't develop in the same ways. Our brains don't develop. In fact, the the adult male brain isn't fully developed until they're like 25 years old. Cortex. Yeah, and so to expect it's like saying everyone must have their f- lost their first tooth by the time they're three years old, right? Yeah. And in fact, I think that would be a better gauge, you know. <laughs> like by the time your voice has dropped, you should learn this, like because that's a better indicator than your actual chronological age, right? Well, that just tells you your physical age in some ways, right? It exactly. Doesn't tell you your social maturity, exactly. right? Yeah, it does. I'm You're not right. sure my voice ever dropped, for being honest. But the least reliable number is your actual chronological age, right? Because there's there's chronological age, there's biological age, there's emotional age, I'm assuming. There's like so- social age. I don't know. I'm making this stuff up now. But, but <laughs> we're all developing all the time. Yeah. And so to say that if you are 18 years old and you have not graduated high school, you're a failure is doing such a great disservice to that person. Because maybe that person should not have graduated high school by, by that age. point. Maybe exactly. they should graduate when they're 22. And mm-hmm. maybe they shouldn't be felt to feel like failures if they're going to the upgrading high school in their early 20s because that's when they were ready to learn that stuff. So what we're talking about, dear listeners, is this policy that was implemented years ago called No Child Left Behind, <laughs> which assumed that a child's social development was more important than their educational development, which meant that if a kid or a student was not achieving at, say, like a grade four level, it didn't matter. It was more important for them to be amongst their peer groups so they would be passed along. That's what mm-hmm. is being spoken about right now. Yep. Yeah. And it is important to some degree because of the structure we insist on maintaining. Yeah. Well, if we're going to keep pushing people forward based on age and keep delivering the same content, yeah, mm-hmm. in some ways, it's so brutal for that kid who fails who the following year probably doesn't do great in it anyway. Yeah. A little better. Mm-hmm. I, I remember students when they used to fail students. Uh, right. Growing up, and they got to my grade, and you're like, you're not some genius. <laughs> you know what I mean? You've yeah. done this before, yeah. and you don't get it? That's really weird. When I was in grade right? 9, yeah. there was a girl in my class who had failed, like actually failed grade 9, and was one of the rare cases being held back yeah. Yeah. an entire year. I'm sure a lot of it was actually behavioral, now that I think about it. But, mm-hmm. um, yeah. yeah, those and are th- Well, that's also um, another kind of stigma right because you're saying because now that person stands out because 100%. at the age of 14 they didn't learn what they're supposed to learn so therefore they're being held back right and that yep. that is harmful as well in its own way right it is True. in high school but, you can fail a yep. course right but i think failing courses and failing grades right two very different things you yeah. should be able to fail grade seven math or science or la well because you, do. you don't get it you technically do mm-hmm. i mean there are loads of kids who get Beneath but 50%. you should not pass on to grade eight. Of course. In that subject. So do you stay with the next group of grade sevens? You're going to have to go back and prove that you can handle this. You can challenge it like in maybe, maybe university not. where you're like, yeah. I didn't do well. I'm going to brush up on my skills and figure it out myself and take the test. Right? But let's but get think a about how Think about this, okay? I know a yep. person. In fact, I think the person who cuts my hair 
tells me. Uh, she does you, a great job, by the way. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. It looks great. So, has a, a brother, God, I could be getting this wrong, um, a brother who was like within, like they, they could have been in the same grade, right? Okay. Their older brother. No, their, their younger brother. And so their parents were that busy. I guess like so. two children one year or maybe they're cousins I don't really know but one of them was older and they were in the same grade and the older one failed kindergarten dang so for okay. the rest so from what kindergarten to grade that? you can't <laughs> do that exactly so from kindergarten to grade 12 the older cousin was in a younger grade and felt stupid all the yeah. way through right so you think about the implications oh. of that and that's sort of you are stupid that's what they're hearing and yep. and so and we think about what is the purpose of education is the purpose to master a curriculum and i i hear this term out there a lot it's called mastery learning right and, and it's kind of like well you you learn you move on once you've mastered the curriculum right that assumes that there's a curriculum to be mastered and i and what does one, mastery even mean exactly like, as, as a person who teaches is, english language arts you never master you can't master language it. ever you can't. You shouldn't be able to master science or math because right. it's ever changing. It's yeah. always evolving. There's always new ideas. Like, and math, if you can reduce oh. a curriculum to something that can be mastered, like so, for example, uh, we could reduce our subject English to measurable things. We could we could look at a person's ability to use punctuation and use proper sentence structure and know how to spell things. You can measure those things, and a lot of people see that as the English teacher's main job to teach people how to properly use written language just so you know no, dear readers Google Docs it work. is not because on any sort of um rubric worth its weight and salt um conventions are worth only one-fifth of the entire mark mm -hmm. the ideas are always more important because yeah. like you said google docs can fill in punctuation absolutely someone who not edits, very well can go, can some, word. but someone who edits <laughs> someone who edits your work can fill in punctuation it's not the punctuation that makes the meaning. It's the ideas. Yeah. Uh, one thing I just wanted to say before we like move on from this failure thing, the one thing I want to say about like junior high students, for instance, yeah. the junior high students who fail a subject, they don't fail it because they don't know it. They fail it because they don't do the work. I mean, that is straight up it. Like I have mm -hmm. never had a student who does all of their work who achieves a failing mark. It doesn't happen. Yeah. The ones who fail in junior high are students who don't put effort in. And that's straight up all it is. So the idea of like, I mean, failing a subject, you haven't failed a subject. You failed yourself for not trying. And so what the real lesson should be is fail grade seven LA mm -hmm. so that you learn to put in the effort. That's Because like, I mean, the, the failure part to me is the, the most important part of learning and we mm -hmm. are getting away from it. Well, we only yeah. learn when we make mistakes, right? That's exactly it. Yeah. But is failure defined by the mark you got? Like, is that... It can be. But it the can mark, be, but, but the I mark, agree with you where you're kind of insinuating mm -hmm. the failure to put in the effort the and mark, have the right mentality and have the right effort. Yeah, that, that's where it lies. The, well, real the mark is a correlation to the effort. 100% it is. Yeah. But there are other ways to fail, too. Right? Like, you can fail by trying to put on a school play and it flops. You know what I mean? Like, you can fail in ways but is, that are humbling. Okay, is, is, yeah, it, right? is that a flop? I mean... You might fail. It might be a flop. Uh -huh. But it's also a school play. Yeah. I mean, it should be That's full That's where of, you should fail. It should be full of yeah. mistakes. Yeah. It is a school play. And this is Absolutely. where, like, you know, if you have anyone who thinks that, like, a school play should be perfect or without mistake, <laughs> well, 
I mean, yeah. th- like, for, I mean. But here's the thing. There are, there when are you movies. put on that play, you should give the feeling that you cannot mess this up. Well, of course. this is yeah. the most important. You're no. going to get the opportunity because I think that's mm-hmm. what made all these things so great. You want that During our renaissance. Yes. Yes. Was we believed that what we were doing was so awesome. And it was. But you know what? Mm-hmm. That we made it to that standard we of awesome. We took it seriously. It didn't matter that our backdrops in some of the plays were made of cardboard and paper. And they were falling over. Yeah, it exactly. didn't really matter. The fact was that everyone was pulling together yeah. and believed in it, it for whatever eff- reason. And the effort was recognizable. Which is ironic, considering it was Peter Pan. I mean, it, it didn't matter. <laughs> like, believe, baby. That's right. It, That's right. I mean, I remember when I, when I did my um, uh, Teen Angel, I went on a scene early because they weren't ready for their scene. Mm-hmm. Like it was yeah. behind and you and you literally pushed me on. You're like, we're going now. Because the, the yeah. scene that was supposed to happen, they weren't ready for it. And it was just it was a mistake. Yeah. Did it impact anything? No, I mean The impact actually was that these kids learned the most important lesson in theater, which is this is happening in real time. Yeah. Yes. And you're gonna have to deal with the fact that yeah, Easy Evan is coming out and he's gonna sing and yes. I don't care Who's on stage? Get get the dancers out there yeah. right now. And you fail. So if you don't know your lines, you're gonna fail in real life. Yeah. Because we take this it. seriously. Right? But you know what's but, but that's the lesson you're really learning. That's yeah. when right. the when the chips exactly. are down and we're taking this seriously, uh-huh. even though it's just a stupid school play. Yeah. We're gonna come through. Because and we put the expectation on ourselves and we come through in these dumb little projects. And you know it doesn't matter? Yeah. You mess up your lines. You keep going. It doesn't yeah. matter. You take mm-hmm. those little mistakes and you keep going. Because you're also in a forgiving environment. Your parents are going to come back and say, like, hey, you did a great job, right? As Everyone's going to be like, they I can't believe what you just pulled yeah. off. Because you know what I couldn't yeah. do when I was in junior high? I could not be yeah. Sandy in uh, Greece. I could not be probably, um, probably not. Danny Zuko. <laughs> I could be a Teen Angel. Your story's sad to tell, <laughs> but teenage ne'er do well. Yeah, you did good, man. You well, did good. that's why... Like one thing that I do in my classrooms and that you do, Evan, is poetry and voice, right? Which Always. Is, yeah, and that's, that's where students have to learn and memorize and recite a poem. There's no bullshitting your way past that, right? You have to do it. And the more time you invest in it, the more of yourself you invest in it, the better you do, right? And you can fail at that. You and you fail publicly and you, you know that you failed when you sit back so, down. And I tell the kids that every time he does, I'm like, you know what the worst thing, you know what's worse than like standing up and reciting a poem in front of people? Standing up and not knowing the poem you're reciting. Yeah. You've had two weeks to do this. And this is where, this is like, this is where you have students who won't say a thing in class. Mm-hmm. Students who like are the shyest people, the students who will ask you before, you know, when, when the project begins, can I do this in front of you? And you're like, oh, yeah, you know what? No. You do it in front of the class. And you know, who's, yeah. you know who's died? No one. No one has ever died doing this. And you see everyone, and everyone, I mean everyone, step up and deliver a poem. And it, that, that's probably, like you talk about like great memories of teaching. Yeah. I mean, seeing the shyest kids in the entire class deliver a poem. And it's a great assignment, too, because it's not like... I tell them, it's kind of pressure-free. Like, yes, you have to recite a poem, but it's not your poem. You don't have to worry about what people think of the language or the subject matter because it's not your mm-hmm. own personal ideas. I mean, you're reciting a poem from some guy, let's be honest, they might be dead. doesn't you matter. You give them, like, the framework to succeed. Yeah. Yeah, there's a... 
there's a framework in which <laughs> this assignment exists. Yeah. But that's it. And I mean, all they mm-hmm. have to, I mean, yeah, they're internalized. Yeah. I love that assignment. I, I love it. Yeah. I hate the organization, but I love the assignment. <laughs> and I, I think, so, and there's value to that failure. If you fail at that, there's value to that experience. It's, it's a lesson that. for sure. Whereas if you're a kid, like we can also encourage apathy with other types of failure, right? So if it's like, oh, you failed grade seven again, then it's a, it's like, yeah, yeah, I guess I'm just the kid who fails grade seven again, <laughs> yeah. right? Who can't keep up. Yeah. And so yeah. you learn that about yourself. And I think we have like, we define what failure is in those situations. And it, it's a... It's a big thing that, that a, it's a big event in their life. Like to us, it's like, no, you didn't put in the effort. Like we don't really understand that person's experience. Yep. And so to like to say that you don't deserve, because you're not just failing the subject. If you're, if you're staying in grade seven and all of your peers are moving on to grade eight, there's a bigger message here than you didn't learn your subject well enough right or that you're not mature like the rest yeah. or there's a lot unsaid that occurs i think in a person's mind yeah. when you fail an entire grade and so the problem is maybe that rigid structure where it is such a you stay with your peer group you yeah, move forward where yeah. we expect everything at the same time from everyone mm-hmm. whereas we can like allow more flexibility in a different kind of structure we're trying to create that mm-hmm. with lsps and these specific learning plans to be like, this is the way this person learns, right? Mm-hmm. We're trying to accommodate that, but what we're trying to do is fit it within the current structure. Yeah. And that's the problem. Yeah. I gotta say, like, I'm not saying that it's easy to make a revolution and change, but I think we're actually at a point that we need to update our whole operating system. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, it just feels like it's too many patches at this point and it's time to renew it. Yeah. You know, and even though like that's what they're trying to accomplish, they're not renewing it. They're just giving us the same thing we've had before yeah. with slightly different words. Yeah. This whole curriculum has to change. This whole structure needs to change. That's where I feel. Thank so you. teaching as it stands right now is dead. <laughs> In order to long live this one, yeah. what do we got to do here? Like, and especially from our place in society as either teachers or parents or whatever, mm-hmm. just as people in society, like... What are we supposed to do? This is going to perpetuate. Just like everything else out there never changes. (laughs) Right? The American government, no matter how messed up it's starting to seem, is never going to re-up their system. Mm -hmm. Right? Same thing with school. It just feels like, nope, this institution is where it is. The people in charge, the last thing they want to do is change it and lose their position. That's where us teachers come in. That's where, I mean, that's why people become teachers. Because they love learning and they want other people to love learning and love questioning and want to challenge people to change the world. Maybe you don't change the education system right now, but you challenge other people too. I mean, the great thing about education, even in the system that we're in, everyone needs it. It's always going to be held up as valuable. Because, I mean, unless they're getting the school of life, on the streets, you know, like they're not getting the education. So, I mean, we're still a valuable commodity, regardless of whether it's a flawed structure, which I agree, it completely is. But, but where's it leading, right? So let's just talk K to 12. Where's this all leading? Either post-secondary or straight into a job, right? Mm-hmm. 
but isn't that the way of the world? Like, honestly, what else? And what do they require from post-secondary, especially if you're doing at-home schooling? What do they want from you? Anyone know? Your money. Your money, number one. Yeah. <laughs> number two is something like three subjects mm-hmm. or something. They need the marks for only a handful of subjects. Yeah. All this stuff you studied, it doesn't go towards your university application. Do you get post Sure it does, doesn't it? No. Your whole Especially average. if you don't go through the normal route. They'll send forward your full transcript because it's there. But if you're applying as a homeschooled individual, mm-hmm. I was talking to uh, an old teacher. We'll just call him uh, Triple J. J. Jonah Jameson. Very classy dresser. KG hates him. Oh, what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where? Okay, that guy was homeschooled. Look, I think he was great. I thought he was totally awesome. And Do I think ag- it's after your time. Oh, okay. He, uh, he was a well-dressed man. Yeah, and homeschooled. And he was the one who explained to me that, like, no, you don't have to do everything. You just yeah. have to have these certain required courses mm-hmm. that will constitute your grade. And so you just push those forward. And it, it's not all, cr- like, core curriculum either. You can actually include, like, something else in there. Uh, yeah. mm-hmm. Which is, but again, that that's sort of suggesting homeschooling is not a valuable source of education. I'm saying it's what we have to look at. If that's the requirement for homeschooling, then why can't the same requirement be held for people who go through regular schooling? So that in that way, you're not going to have to graduate with English mm-hmm. 30. You're not going to have to, or 33, or whatever you graduate with, because you're yeah. struggling with it. Mm-hmm. You'll only have to graduate with a handful of things that mm-hmm. you found out about yourself. You can do. Well, yeah. I mean, that's well, where I mean, university. That's an institution. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, I guess we're an institution as well, but there's a lot more flexibility within us. I mean, try to change a university when, like Infectious said, it's money. It's money, yeah. I mean, it, yeah. That, that's all it is. They want the most number of people they can get, but it's, prestige, money, well, I research. just had this argument with my son, talking about, like, well, what's the point? I don't want to give them my money, he says. I'm like, your money. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but at the same time, I'm like, yeah. it's, there's a reason. Any money that that doctor pays into getting that doctor's... Mm-hmm. Uh, degree at that point yeah. it all pays for itself down the line and the last thing in 20 years he's going to mention is how much he paid in tuition yeah. the people who do complain about the cost are the people who went in got a degree without a plan on how to leverage off that degree or know how to Right? you're like yeah. I spent all this money and all I've got is a debt and I haven't been able to translate that into a meaningful job yeah. and well you know what you could always do regardless of whatever degree you get I was become a teacher. <laughs> oh, I thought you were going to say the old-fashioned. <laughs> the oldest uh, job in the book. Um, yeah, you could do... Well, that was my second choice. Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, like, teaching accepted poetry? me. So. Being a poet? <laughs> a street poet, in, in, in a way. Well, um, you know what, though? Like, there is... That's the thing, because there... You're never going to agree... You're never going to get every, any, everyone to agree on what the purpose of education is and what the purpose of school is. And one thing that we can't ignore is that a huge function of schools is child care is knowing where the kids are Mm -hmm. and knowing what they're up to and making sure they're not causing trouble and they're accounted for right doing better things with their time the majority of the day that's why the the thing that the admin is most concerned with the first few days is making sure you take accurate attendance right so when you're going to a school we need to fill your day Right. Yep. Otherwise, we're going to have anarchy. We're going to have chaos. Right. So we need the structure in a day to know that that 612 to 14 year olds are not going to be burning the place down. I've seen that in some classes. Yeah. 
<laughs> me too. <laughs> but but and that's and we know it's ridiculous. We know sometimes when we're standing up here in a classroom that that's the function we're serving, and we need yeah. to like, we know it's absurd that we're expected to do this because we're not fulfilling. Like there actually is no practical purpose for what I'm teaching you right now necessarily, right? Sometimes there is, sometimes there isn't. And, um, but we need to accept that and buy into it and make it our own and push against that structure that we don't believe in, right? And I think there is some value to the tension between our values of education and the values of the institution. And we're always in that, ten- I, I know I'm always in a tension against my administration against the curriculum against oh. the society society's expectations of what happens in a school we're always working against that and sometimes that resistance is enough to make you passionate about doing what you feel is important i mean the worst part about teaching is we all know it's not the kids it's not it, it's the bureaucratic bullshit yeah. that you have to put up with that like almost prohibits you from yeah. teaching. It's the little things that stop you from being an effective teacher. Can I read a poem? Please do. Yeah. All right. I think it fits into this. So this is by Tom Wayman. Uh, Tom Wayman taught me in university. Uh, he was a teacher and his most famous, well, I don't know, his most often read poem is called Did I Miss Anything? But I'm not going to read that one. That's too obvious. Even yes. I know that poem. <laughs> this one is called Students. And I remember reading it a long, long time ago before he was my teacher. But I think it kind of speaks to what we're, we're talking about. He's a university teacher, which is different. But is he still? I th- well, he retired. I think he's retired as a, a teacher. But he's, yeah, he taught at UFC when I was there. Is he still Calgary-based? No, he's oh. in BC. Of course he is. Like they interior BC. Look at him. Look at his picture. He's probably living on some kind of, like, grape-picking Me- commune somewhere. He lives, a, he lives on a... Out in the Okanagan, maybe? No, not he's in like the deep interior, like near Nelson or something like that. Yeah, but it's called students. The freshman class list printouts showed birth dates so recent, Wayman was sure the computer was in error. Hmm. One young man, however, was curious about Wayman's mention near the start of term of his old college newspaper. You were an editor when? Wow, that's before I was born. The wisdom of the students hadn't altered, though. Wayman observed many clung to the vaccination theory of education, he remembered. Once you have had a subject, you are immune and never have to consider it again. Other students continued to endorse the dipstick theory of education. As with a car engine, where as long as the oil level is above the ad line, there is no need to put in more oil. So if you receive a pass or higher, why put any more into learning? At the front of the room, Wayman sweated to reveal his alternative. Adopt the Kung Fu theory of education, he begged. Learning as self-defense. The more you understand about what's occurring around you, the better prepared you are to deal with difficulties. The students remained skeptical. A young woman was a pioneer of the easy listening theory of learning, spending her hours in class with her tape recorder, earphones on, silently enjoying a pleasanter world. Don't worry, I can hear you, she reassured Wayman when after some days he was moved to inquire. Finally, at term's end, Wayman inscribed after each 
now familiar name on the list, the traditional single letter. And whatever pedagogical approach he or the students espoused, Wayman knew this notion would be poured over with more intensity than anything else Wayman taught. Mm-hmm. Hmm. I love that he he's the guy in it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he uses the third person. <laughs> but everyone comes into a classroom with a different view of what they want to get out of it, right? And every parent has a different idea of what they want their child to get out of it. So it's one parent thinks an English teacher's job is to teach their student all the classics. Nothing should be taught that's Not a that has the F-U-C-K word in it and is like contemporary. Well, the F-U-C-K word. The F-U-C-K word. Yeah. And, and then others are like, you know, who needs the classics? I want my, stu- my kid to learn how to write a business letter. Yeah. You know, I want this to be practical. When are they going to need Shakespeare in their lives? What purpose does that serve? Right? So there's always going to be a tension. And I think that tension is healthy. And I think it's important to always be open to questioning. I, I think the most humble person in the room should always be the teacher. I think we should always be listening to, like not necessarily always accepting and agreeing, but listening to what others are expecting of us and what others are expecting to get out of what we're doing in the classroom. Because regardless of whether we agree with them or not, it's what they're coming to the classroom believing, right? Yep. And so we need to, in some ways, kind of meet them where they're at and accept their voice as a valid one. But if I'm not mistaken, didn't that poem suggest that it doesn't even matter about all the different yes. ways that they <laughs> want to learn or what they want to learn? It's just that letter grave ascribed at the end that that is the most valuable thing. Mm-hmm. It's fucked up. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. What are we drinking here? Um, so now we have... Oh, before this, we do uh, that, I'm going to segment this one. Hold on. Just a little uh, break in the action here, but we were uh, about to get an introduction here to what we're currently drinking. The next wine is a Pinot Noir from Romania, of all places, called Chevalier de Dionis, which, if my French is correct, means like Dionysus's horse. Um, Dionysus obviously being the Greek god of wine and partying. <laughs> um, not exactly sure why... It would be called, like, Dionysus's horse from Romania. Your, your kids went to a French immersion school. Any, any thought on... Was that even the correct translation, by the way? Oh, I don't know. I'd have to ask one of my kids. I okay. Well, I'm pretty sp- sure. I'm, I'm not dumb. I'm pretty sure it means Dionysus's horse. Yeah. Um, I haven't had a sip yet. Um, infectious, how is... Or, sorry, um, Prophet, how is it? Uh... Yeah, I was uh, taking a little of that. That's Romanian. It's a little bit more... What do you do? Oaky, maybe? Maybe a bit more oaky? A little bit of an oaky afterbirth? Yeah, it's a little <laughs> bit more earthy. Is that what I have? Yeah, that's... Um, <laughs> let's be honest, guys. It's Romanian. I just... Um, I used my camera on the um, little QR code here. Yeah. And it took to a site that I am sure was not legitimate at all. Like, Ooh. I'm pretty sure I'm now in part of, like, Romania's organized <laughs> crime gang, so... But you brought it. But I brought it, yes. Well, thank you. It's very good. Well, I hope so. If not, uh, we've only got three more glasses of it left, so we're almost done it. <laughs> yeah. Speak, I was going to bring the uh, 19 crimes. 
Crimes. Oh, yeah. But it, mostly because it had uh, Snoop Dogg. Dog. Oh, yeah. So you know what's not very good? But it's pretty gross looking. 19 Crimes. Yeah, it's pretty thick. Those wines are awful. Oh, yeah, I remember you mentioned great that. Yeah. Great branding. I'm sorry, I feel like good a... branding, yeah. I feel like a real snob when I say things like that wine's not very good and I kind of feel that at least you have an opinion and you're true. some wishy-washy bitch yeah I ain't gonna <laughs> yeah hey guys let's drink some fucking copper moon and yellowtail huh or some Jackson Triggs now you're talking <laughs> seriously right though um, just but, so you all know dear listeners after our very first podcast um, about poetry we made a rule I'm sorry I made a rule there's no more Jackson Triggs allowed at the fire and wines. And I'm okay with that because the other stuff I brought, you just said its name. That stuff was on for six ninety nine a bottle today. So oh, <laughs> And Jackson Triggs was way more expensive. It was like three dollars more than that. Perfect. So, so I was okay with that rule. <laughs> God. Moving on to that yeah, next Copper Moon, I mean It's from the Okanagan. Yeah, I know. <laughs> what does that mean? Indeed I mean I love the Okanagan. I'm trying What's to think of that patch. What's yeah. that patch full of wine down the Okanagan called? Naramata? Naramata? Naramata. Okay. Naramata. Is this from Naramata? No, I think it's okay. from Kelowna. Okay, so... <laughs> and I didn't Alan bring it from there. something from Naramata then. It was six ninety nine. I'm going to create a motion that <laughs> Infectious is no longer allowed to... <laughs> purchase his own wine for this he will give us money we will purchase the wine for him have you tasted it yet have you tasted it no yet? we have not had the pleasure okay, i well, thought we would do all the let's reserve judgment then shall we interesting that he is uh, <laughs> providing some kind of structure for you to work with him eh? well it's just another example of using quantifiable measures to determine the quality of a product you know like you're gonna let the the price of wine tell you how good it is before you no, even no, taste no. it i'm gonna let the t- Everyone's had like copper wine before. It's the equivalent of like Tim Hortons coffee, donut water. Like we've all had it. We all know it's terrible. Honestly. I've never had it. Yes, you have. No, I usually just drink whatever you bring. <laughs> no, you've been to some low level function before where some inconsiderate person has brought copper moon oh, maybe, and you've had it before. It's probably in a different box. Could it be <laughs> out of a shoe? Like honestly. Yeah, it was probably decantered, so I didn't see the bottle. Right. And that's what, I mean, someone would do if they want to trick you. They just pour Copper Moon, probably Copper Moon Jackson tricks together in a decanter. A blend. A blend. <laughs> Anything in a decanter tastes way better. It's all about the packaging. Copper tricks. Yes. <laughs> and that's why I think, I think people who speak seriously about education, they got to loosen up a little bit because it really doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Like, the curriculum doesn't matter. Nope. We're, we're dealing with human beings, right? Um, we're going to learn no matter what. And if we have people who, are, um, who care in a classroom, who like care about their subject matter, right? If I'm teaching science and I am passionate about electrons and photosynthesis, right? I'm going to teach the hell out of it. And, and you know what? It doesn't matter. Like, I'm going to Here's what I remember from grade seven social studies. Culture is the sum total of the way of life of a group of people. Culture is the sum total of the way of life of a group of people. Did he make 
you learn these songs? Yes. Yeah. So, and that was because my grade seven teacher, uh, on probably our first day of social class, taught us that rap. That was a rap, by the way. To teach us what culture, the definition of culture. And it got in my head, and now I can remember it, however many years later, right? Um, that doesn't mean I understood what culture was, but I remember, I remember, I, I probably got that definition right on the quiz, right? But am I better off for having that information? Not necessarily. Because I have a whole different definition of what culture is now. Culture has a much more nuanced definition in my mind now. But then I bought into it because the teacher was like, hey, here's a rap, right? Two, and three, four. Exactly. And so if we can like create, or not create, but if students and people can have experiences in our classrooms that they can attach meaning to and, and consider significant to them, then I'm happy, you know? Like if, as an English teacher, regardless of your thoughts of whether Shakespeare should be taught in high school or not, if students can leave my classroom curious to read more Shakespeare, or if students can leave my classroom not hating Shakespeare, I'm way happier than if they know the meaning of all the allusions to Greek mythology in a particular Shakespeare play, but never want to lay eyes on another Shakespeare play again, because then I've totally defeated my own purpose, because I have made them hate Shakespeare or I've helped them hate Shakespeare. I didn't make them hate Shakespeare, but something I did led to them never wanting to see another line of Shakespeare again. I, don't get me wrong, I know there are students who've left my classroom never wanting to see Shakespeare again. That's inevitable, right? You're not gonna connect with every student. But maybe they, maybe they learned something from that, I don't know. Like, and it doesn't really matter in the scheme of things because we put so much emphasis on education and how we teach and what we teach. But ultimately, we all went through some crappy education system, right? Didn't yeah. we? Like, we... Was education better when we were going to school? Better in what way? I don't know. In the ways that we want it to be better. No, it wasn't safer. I know that. It's I better. I know that, like, we jumped off the oh. back of, like, the... <laughs> baseball diamond backstop onto yeah. a giant mat yeah. because we had a lot of more freedom. Yeah. There wasn't someone watching us all the time. Right. And now that probably is never going to happen because we do watch them all the time. Okay, but you right. can do that outside. You can do that outside of school. You know what? Your kids can go I don't know, like... No, but if, I mean, your kids <laughs> after school could go to the backstop and jump off it. In terms of school, I think it is better now because, I mean, the word differentiation... Did that exist mm -hmm. when we were in elementary or junior high? Yeah. Not a fucking chance. But that's better? Differentiation? I think so. Because in a way, you're attempting, whether you succeed or not, you're attempting to reach a variety of different learners at different levels. Sorry, let me just move this giant caterpillar. I just got to dig this hole for the next little while, <laughs> yeah. apparently. Just be patient with me. It's your ditch digging job. Yeah, sorry. Work called. <laughs> got it. Yeah. Hole's done. Carry um, on. But, I, and, but you know what? I've, I agree with Infectious here. I think that, like, I mean, I've always felt my job more than anything, and this is sort of, sort of this is how I view teaching, my job is to make kids like school or to want to be there or to want to learn. That's my job. 
mm-hmm. you know what? I have to teach them things. Within the day, the one thing I want them to do is I want them to enjoy being at least in my class. That's what I want. So mm-hmm. I try to make it so that they want to come back. They want to learn. I guess I want to make lifelong learners out of people. But that mm-hmm. starts with me. I mean, and let's be honest, as junior high teachers, we're a stopgap. I mean, we talked about meaningful moments and how like we impact live stuff. We do. But I mean, elementary's formative. High school gets you into university and then a profession. Junior high is that sort of weird middle ground. That's in the, the toughest. In the middle. That's the yeah. toughest part. We're like, I mean, what we really teach them doesn't matter. Our job is to get kids through the toughest time in their lives, the most like fucked up times that they're ever going to have in terms of like hormones, yeah. feelings, Lots moods, who they are. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Right? So what do you want to do? I mean, I just, I want kids to enjoy being in my class. That's, that's what I want. Yeah. While they're going through their yeah. werewolf transformation, right? <laughs> well, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> While they're doing that, you're just like, but you got to learn these concepts. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Know the difference between irony and... Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, we want to be very careful not to prioritize, put our pri- make our priorities more important than theirs mm-hmm. in a lot of ways because we don't know what's going on in their lives. We have no idea where they're coming from, right? Uh, and so we can cause a lot of anxiety as teachers. We can put a lot of anxiety into a student's life. Unknowingly. And, like, unknowingly, yeah. yeah, absolutely. And And I agree. I think that students first and foremost need to feel safe and secure in the classroom that is the most important thing because if you're not feeling safe and secure where you are you're not going to learn anything it doesn't matter because you're in high anxiety mode right you're out of your zone of taking anything in that whole fight or flight yeah you're in flight you're shutting down you're not receptive to anything exactly and so if i create a confrontation with a student, if I yell at a student, if I get into, if I take the bait, if they're trying to be oppositional and I allow them to make me angry and I act in anger, no one is being served there. No no one is being helped. Um, And I've been there. I've been angry at students. Mm -hmm. I can't remember a time I've yelled in a classroom since I left junior high, to be honest with you. See, and that's, (laughs) That's the great thing that comes with, like, we talked about innocence versus experience. Mm-hmm. This is a great thing that comes with experience. Yeah. I mean, I've yelled before. Yeah. We've all yelled before. Yes. And I think at the time we saw something satisfying in that yelling as a way to make your point, as mm-hmm. a way to um, impose authority. Yeah. But you learn with experience, like, I hardly yell anymore because... You're relinquishing authority at that point. It's not. I mean, to me. I don't think it's relinquishing. I think it's more like, you know what? You do what you're going to do. I still have control. Like, just because I'm not yelling at you doesn't mean that you're going to still be disruptive or you're still going to do what you do. Like, you can still have authority without, I think, yelling. I exhibit it through relational control. Exactly. For me, it's about making you feel now the power of our relationship. You're acting ill. Like, I didn't talk to you. Like, telling us. You know. This is wrong. You shouldn't act like telling a student, like, you're going to learn a lesson right now about boundaries. Yeah. And this lesson, you're not going to like this lesson, but I'm going to teach you right now. Right? Yeah, that's right. I had a couple of those this year. Yeah. Yeah. But but without yelling, it was just like, here's the deal. You can't do this. Here's why. There's no yelling, but you still learned 
why you can't like smack me in the head. And it wasn't even direct, actually. Was it? it was like, mm -hmm. I can't even talk to this person directly because of the nature of our relationship. So I'm going to have this discussion with another teacher as they walk by, <laughs> very loudly. And then you can see the change in their face of like, oh my god, really? I'm like, yeah. I guess he'll never learn. <laughs> they learn, I think. Yeah. yeah, things change. Yeah. But I mean, we're all just, um, is it Sisyphus who had to push the boulder up the hill? He did. For like all of eternity or yeah. something like that? We can see our task as being an overwhelming, monotonous task, which it can feel at times, I think. I think teaching can feel monotonous. It's a very cyclical profession, right? Like, sure. mm -hmm. do you ever stand at the beginning of a school year and, and see that you're teaching the exact same subject that you taught the last 10 years and say, here we go again? I'm going to now. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> I don't. I'm like, great, I'm teaching the same thing I've taught. I'm better this year than I was yeah. last year. Yeah, when I'm watching teachers scramble for resources, I'm like, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> Got this one. You see teachers yeah. at the photocopier, yeah, like hustling, 7 a.m., you're like, panicking. You'll get it. Calm down. Like, yep. yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I guess. I think, uh, well, brings us to our final kind of question on this list uh, What makes a good teacher? And you can even answer what makes a bad teacher too in there if you really want, but let's just keep it on the positive. And as far as the question goes, what makes a good teacher? Uh, I think the first rule of being a good teacher, we broke it. We all just broke it. Never talk about teaching. <laughs> <laughs> right? Same yeah. as Fight Club. Yeah. Uh, and only because I think as you go down this rabbit hole of thinking about the whole thing too much, you forget what it actually is all about. It's mm -hmm. us showing up, making a bunch of relationships with people, babysitting them, call it what you will, yeah. spending time with them and seeing how far you can take them in that time, mm -hmm. whatever it is, right? And it's usually in the ages we're dealing with, growing up, it's not always like, you know, similes and metaphors and <laughs> I don't know what other English terms I can pull out here for you. <laughs> Those yeah. are the only two. You got <laughs> <Yeah>. them both. <laughs> Onomatopoeia or something like that. <laughs> It's not a movie. It's onomatopoeia. Onomatopoeia. I like onomatopoeia. Onomatopoeia. Sounds like a movie. Like a ride at uh, Disneyland. Onomatopoeia. Come ride on onomatopoeia. Know <laughs> <laughs> where you turn things into animals? What's onoma What is? Onomatopoeia. Yeah, please. That's the sound. The effect of sound. Right. Turning like things. Humanizing animals. Is anthropomorphization. Like, well, it's when the sound imitates the That's word imitates the sound. Yeah. What did you say? Anthropomorphization. Oh, anthropomorphization. Yeah. Yeah. That's what, what Evan said. I love English. Um, I feel good about learning right now. See? And I haven't yelled at you. I haven't made you feel stupid. I've made you want to be here, haven't I? Yeah, I want to learn more. <laughs> <laughs> so what uh, makes a good teacher here? The key to being a teacher is making kids want to be there. It's all. It's all about connection. It's not about... I mean, the curriculum, it's not about whether they know what a simile or metaphor is. It's about making people care. It's about making people into good people. I mean, that's what we're in the habit of doing. That's, that's our job is elementary, junior high, even high school teachers. We want to make people good people. I think that's it. It's making relationships. Honestly. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, seriously. Think of all... I mean, there are lots of kids who are straight A's who aren't good people. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. you want Great people... Rubbers. Yeah. 
Well, <laughs> I don't like the term grade grubbers necessarily. It depends on the grade grubber, but some people genuinely want to improve, right? So, like, and they're willing to do that. Some people just want to ask you for an extra mark because they didn't hit 90. But there are some students yeah. who have 80-something and are willing to literally, like, redo an assignment. Not redo. I, I never make them redo. Resubmit an assignment, right, with the changes you have suggested to make it good, and we'll do it. Yeah. Those people deserve extra marks. People who just cry because, you know, they didn't get 90 when they really want 90, no, fuck right off. Like... No, seriously, like, like, learn something. Show that you've learned something or do something or put effort in. Anyway, what makes a good teacher? Someone who cares about students and wants them to do well and encourages them to be good people. I like that. For me, I mean, I agree. I don't disagree with you. I think... Humility oh. makes a good teacher. So a person who does not see themselves as the end point and acknowledges that they are not in complete control of what's going on in that room and is open to allowing movement that they didn't plan for to happen. So humility and vulnerability, I think, allowing yourself to be vulnerable. Because you've got a room full of human beings there, right? And I don't want you all to go in the same direction. I don't want you all to think the same way or to think the way I think. I want to learn what you feel, how you think, right? So I think a person who keeps the conversation going and encourages it to keep going even once they're gone to me, that is what makes a good teacher. It's allowing that curiosity, that natural curiosity to thrive and to stay there. It, the worst thing a teacher can do is put an end to curiosity, to answer all the questions and to make the students think that they know all the answers, I think, because the answers are out there. It's the questions that should be driving you. That's what I think. Those are my thoughts. Uh, I'm in, I guess, a similar vein. Because <laughs> uh, to me, it, it's a, an authority thing. Mm -hmm. Kind of walk, to your point, it's not the answers, it's not the person who knows all, is the be all, and makes it all about themselves. Kind of someone who is authentic, mm -hmm. uh, who brings that to the table. It brings you maybe an outlook that can only be shared by spending a day over and over and over with a person that you get the real vibe of who they are. Mm -hmm. There's That's where you really, I don't know, that's the real connection, the rela yeah. relational point, is when you get a person who's not trying to be, <laughs> trying to be a teacher, mm -hmm. right? They're just a person. This is why I always remind them, like, for me, it's about the money. <laughs> this is the best paid job I've ever had. And yeah. so to sit here with you and spend time helping you learn, absolutely. I will spend all day with you if they're going to pay me this much, right? <laughs> so that the kids yeah. understand that, number one, <laughs> you don't pay me enough, I'm not here. You won't get the best of me because what I'm offering you is the best of me. <laughs> 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 because I, the last thing I want to do is blow this gravy train, right? Mm -hmm. 
it's good enough. This, this job is fantastic. It gives me time to myself. It gives me an opportunity to spend time around other people at the best point in their life where they have hope and everything in front of them that I don't have. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All that stuff's in my rearview mirror. Yeah. But and you I provide get to see hope. People. And you provide I love actually guidance. lighting that spark a little bit. Going like, hey, guess what? Like, you're at the best point of your life. And these are all the awesome things we can do together. And now I can, like, come and play and hang out with you guys. <laughs> it's the way it often feels. You know, I know I've got a mandate. And the longer I keep doing my job, the more I'm like, this is how I feel that mandate, which gives me more room to play, which allows us to do everything, you know, yeah. to an expanded sense where I kind of make it more grandiose than it is, which is, to me, what it's all about. Make it a good teacher is someone who takes something like the curriculum like being babysat eight hours a day, like all this stuff, being stuck inside this like box with all your <laughs> desks and all, you know what I mean? The mundane 1900s way of learning. Like a structure. Yeah, taking that structure and then taking you on that magic school bus the hell out of there so that you can actually enjoy life and see that life is not this institution. Get, yeah. rid, of, get rid of that structure. Because the guy who walked <laughs> from this damn institution... I don't like it. I don't like that I've been, I've been reinstitutionalized because they chucked enough money at me. I'm like, okay, it's not worth rocking this boat. 14 yeah. more years to freedom, the last thing I'm going to do is rock this boat too far. But you know right? what? If there's also a, a built-in safety net. We can rock the boat in ways without really putting our jobs at risk. Yeah, to be fair, our jobs are almost untouched. Like, mm-hmm. you have to really fuck up to lose your job. Like, really fuck up. And I think as long as, as long as, I don't know, I, I like to sort of play with, play with that, oh, you the like the, the absurdity, time. well, like the hat rule, the fact that, you know, students can't wear hats. There are some school boards that allow students to wear hats. Yeah. And I had a student ask me why there's a hat rule. You know, it was kind of like one of those challenging questions, like they wanted to have a debate. <laughs> and I said, oh, uh, it's about control. <laughs> they just want you to know that they have rules that you need to follow and it's a way of reinforcing their authority over you that's all and they're like they just blink at me like really i'm like yeah straight up that's what it is well every rule they have is about control <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like honestly they were expecting some bullshit answer like oh you know it's just about respect it's about when you walk into a building you need to respect the building and, and uh, yep. yeah you know and I'm like no that's not what it's about it's not like, why we're here we're not here necessarily because you need to know this you know and, and one of the first things I say in my class is if you want to get the most out of this class you got to show up being curious about what we're doing in here because I'm not going to make it meaningful for you you have to find meaning in this for yourself so be curious if we're going to read Shakespeare get interested in it and become curious if you're getting frustrated if you're feeling confused ask yourself why like be curious that's all you need in this classroom is curiosity as soon as you stop being curious i can't help you i can't make it meaningful for you if you don't find and i'll say that like we'll get to the end of hamlet and some students will say that's the stupidest ending ever and you're like bitch it's a tragedy Why of course everyone dies <laughs> that's when you make them stand on their desk and tear that part of the book out right <laughs> yeah. you're like that's the definition of tragedy you I'm idiot like, yeah and i'm like i yeah I, I guess you can feel that way why do we read it i don't know what does it mean to you it means nothing 
I guess but it the means fact nothing. that they have that reaction, mm-hmm. oh, it means something to them. Yeah. And I think there's equal value in a kid hating Hamlet mm-hmm. as much as them loving Hamlet. You hate Hamlet, great. It means you got yeah. some kind of emotional reaction to the story, go with it. Why do you hate it? What about this story do you hate? Mm-hmm. Do you hate the fact that everyone dies? Do you yeah. hate the fact that there's like things that are unjust? Like, mm-hmm. go for it. What? Great, you hate this. Yeah. Run with it. What can you change about the world now? Because this mm-hmm. story is about the world. It's not about a prince of Denmark. This teaches us something about the world. That maybe things yeah. are unjust. Go fix it. That's your job. Yeah. That's <laughs> in my complaint of the language. But that's just me. <laughs> oh, man. Like, I just can't sit there and go through this deciphering of old English. Like, it just murders me. Yeah, and that's that's like most students have that's their issue, right? And but I, most students, this is the problem. Most students stop the first time they see the word thou, and you're like, "Hey, calm the fuck down. It's not that hard." Like if you actually read it carefully, you can basically figure out like what, like just calm down, just give it a chance. Most kids are the ones who aren't giving it a chance. Who are like, "Well, this is dumb. <laughs> I don't get it." The same kids who read a poem and they're like, oh, "I understand it." Yeah, I'm like. Did you even try to like? Did you even try to like paraphrase? Did you try to even like think about what it's actually saying, mm-hmm. or did you just read the words and not even think about, for instance, what the title has to do with the? Put a bit yeah. of effort into it, yeah. right? Ask some questions. Yeah, and and a lot of times the thought is, well, you we study Shakespeare so you can know what happened in the play. No, Mm-mm. it doesn't matter. Mm-mm. Like I can tell you the ending right now. You, if you want to know what happens, read, read the Coles notes. Oh. Like, it doesn't matter to me. You know, like, yeah. I like to watch the movie before we read the play. So we have context, right? Like, it doesn't matter what... Look at the language. Look at this one metaphor. What is it uh, about the world that makes Hamlet see it as an unweeded garden that, that grows to seed? Things rank and gross in nature possess it merely. Why is the world an unweeded garden to Hamlet? What is it about the world that makes him see it as an unweeded garden? And the easy question is, well, what does an unweeded garden look like? It's shit. It's why, yeah. 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 Exactly. There Sorry. you go. And uh, why does Hamlet feel that way? Yeah. Yeah. Or it's yeah. like looking at why Hamlet asks. With all this beauty kind of intermingled underneath all that garbage. Yeah. That's exactly it. Yeah. Or like when Hamlet says to be or not to be, that is the question. It's like, what's the difference between being like alive mm-hmm. and dead? We all end up at the exact same place anyway. Yeah. Right? Like, that's exactly it. Yeah. And every, every And that's a universal line. truth. Yeah. That said, I don't actually like Hamlet. The person? The play? The play. Never liked it that much. I'm more of an R plus J person. I love Romeo and Juliet. <laughs> I do. I like my Tempest. Yeah. Why? Like, what is it? Like, what are you... What differenti- differentiates a, pl- a Shakespeare play that you like versus one you don't like? might be elements of comedy that are entwined within it uh-huh. um, it might be that <laughs> kind of like Nomadland <laughs> I appreciate the art don't like the character Yeah, I do feel like Hamlet's just kind of a bit of a whiner mm-hmm. right I mean that said Rome and Julia both decide to kill themselves because they can't be together which is fairly yeah. whiny um, <laughs> whiners <laughs> yeah like we get it you're emo that's great um, mm-hmm yeah, no, I just, Hamlet never really did it for me. That said, I like Hamlet way more than Macbeth. Wow. I think I actually hate Macbeth. Oh, my gosh. Ah, just so much blood. Just 
Too much blood? Too much blood. We get it. Like, yeah, yeah. You kill lots of people. You feel guilty. Got it. Yeah, fair. What? <laughs> well, there is a lot of blood in it. I mean... Well, Lady Macbeth sees the bloody walls. It's like, oh, I feel yeah. so guilty. Oh, I'm so guilty. Yeah. I can't sleep. But the walls are bloody. Huh? No relevance? Like, what, what don't you like about oh. that? Those are universal themes. I love... I know they are. And that's... You know what? Okay, how about this? How about this? I love Shakespeare. I don't, I'll let you no, know. No, I love Shakespeare. I love Shakespeare. <laughs> Maybe I don't like Macbeth or Hamlet because of the way they were taught to me. How about that? Hmm. How meaningful hey, would that be? Now you're getting somewhere. I felt like <laughs> it wasn't explained properly. I felt like there was uh -huh. no... There was no discussion. It was it, like scene, quiz, scene, quiz, scene, quiz. Yep. Or I remember one was like, write an adaptation of Macbeth. And I'm like, why? Yeah. Like, I literally was like, what is the actual point of this? It, yeah. It, what to is put the, it into modern What's terms, the connection? I, I To be honest, mate, I don't. The crowd? But why? Uh, you know what? Because Macbeth. Because everyone hates Shakespeare. As a good story. No, but <laughs> old. I, no, but I came Gosh, into Shakespeare. I came into that class liking Shakespeare. And I mean, I still love Shakespeare after Leonardo, that. Leonardo, baby. Um, <laughs> right? Give me some guns. Okay, that was actually a great... Yeah. I wrote an essay in university. It was great, wasn't it? About the connect, like, about mm -hmm. the difference between, like, R plus J and Romeo and Juliet. Loved it. I think it's great. Yeah. Um, but I think, I gotta say, it's the way it was taught to me. Like, mm -hmm. this is, I mean... Give me some context or reasoning or, like, just tell me why you want me to write this adaptation. Like, what is the actual point? Because Macbeth does not need a modern adaptation. If it's explained well, yeah. it doesn't need to be, like, brought simple. into modernity. Yeah, I mean, literally, it's about guilt. It's about ambition, right? It's about the dangers of ambition and fate. Like, that all of these like major themes. That sounds like given to you by a teacher who's trying to find some way an assignment for you to yeah. quantify my bet for you to give meaning to, to fair, it for you it sound no <laughs> we went to the same high school yeah i won't did. say the name but you you probably know mm -hmm. the types of teachers i'm talking about this was an assignment given by a teacher who didn't know macbeth and thought well here's an assignment mm -hmm. that i can do yeah without exactly but it yeah. yeah, it's a person doing their job. That, that's what I see there. I, yeah. And there are different types of teachers. There's mm. teachers who do their job, and mm -hmm. the ones who do it passionately. But you know, sometimes the people doing their job, just doing their job, are the best. Yeah. And sometimes, isn't your example? They're the absolute worst. Uh -huh. They're just throwing stuff at you, right? And sometimes that functionalism, that functional, like, yeah, I'm just here to do the job creates that space for you to have a relationship with this teacher but it doesn't sound like they actually focused on that side of it either <laughs> yeah i i don't know i i like i like all the shakespeare plays that i've read do you i think you don't find weaker among weaker oh, absolutely. Among a lot, like 12th night pretty weak midsummer's midsummer's pretty weak midsummer night dream i i a lot of the comedies i struggle with i like i like i mean i I like tension, I like irony, I like risk, I like life and death things, you know, like I like internal conflict. I don't like easy fixes. Um, so therefore Macbeth and Hamlet would really speak to you. Yeah. Yeah, I like the fact that Macbeth has gotten himself into, he's in blood stepped, oh, I'm not, I'm going to get this quote wrong, but he's stepped so far into blood 
that to turn around and swim back would be more work than to continue swimming through it. I paraphrased it, right? But um, so the, just that whole concept, I've created so much death and destruction, there's no point in stopping right now. It's like Michael it's Corleone. Yeah. yeah. I'm not going to turn back. I can't turn back now, right? So I think it's the metaphor. It's metaphor is what really makes connections. And you, you know? know what was never once mentioned to me when I read Macbeth? Something like that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I, honestly, I'm pretty sure we read it. They said, act out a scene, write yeah. a modern version. I'm just like, why? This is, this is dumb. Yeah. Like, give me something meaningful. Teach me something about the text. Yeah. I like using analogy to, like, show... Like, I... I with Shakespeare, I say, like, there's there's different levels that you're going to read and understand Shakespeare at. Do you know every day, the average person will see, like, Shakespeare something like 26 times? Yeah. Like, in any, like, sort of, like, referential way, the average person will see some element of Shakespeare, like, 26 times that a day. That sounds like the fact that I'm eating four spiders a night. I don't know, man. <laughs> well, knock-knock You don't jokes. have the language that like is in our vernacular was created by Shakespeare. He created like however many words to the English language that are now in use. Like yeah. he created these For words. For example. Oh, I can't fucking remember. Shit. Look it up. That's okay. That's well, okay. the knock knock joke is Shakespeare. Oh. Yeah. Knock knock who's there? From Macbeth. The who is he? The porter, the guy at the he's a drunken guy in the middle of the night and here's here's where irony and tension come into play Macbeth and Lady Macbeth Macbeth has just killed the king and has just covered himself in blood the king is dead and the people who are coming to get the king are knocking at the door in the middle of the night or very early in the morning and this drunken porter is like talking to himself and they keep knocking and he goes knock knock who's there and he just goes off and he, he makes all these sexual jokes and uh, and so there's like this scene of humor right after the most uh, right after Macbeth has done the thing that he cannot take back he's killed a king right and, and you all so, know like sorry no go on I was going to say something simple as like, y'all know the Lion King is Hamlet, right? Yeah. No. The Lion King is Hamlet. Hmm. Timon and Pumbaa are Rosencrantz and Guildenstern. <laughs> right? I've in both of those. Uh. And, I mean, there are, there are things every day that uh, it's true. are just indebted to Shakespeare that you wouldn't even know, that I can't even mention because I don't even know. Mm -hmm. But they are. Yeah. West, Side, West Side Story is Romeo and Juliet, a modern retelling. True. West Side Story, dear readers, is also <laughs> the greatest movie ever made. Lost nothing in today's episode. And it's not even about poetry. Jets. It's about teaching. Yeah. And it's about uh -huh. teaching is dead, which is my claim, but clearly it's not. I think clearly we've made a case here that it's far from dead and actually a very necessary thing right now. Mm -hmm. um, despite curriculum, despite everything. Right? To inspire. I think so. To not ruin Shakespeare for certain individuals, right? They're there to all the things we've discussed. Yeah. Uh, long live teaching. I don't know if I buy into that. <laughs> not in its current form. Yeah. Well, that's what we have the power to change. 
I don't think we it's don't. Change I, honestly, it's going to live as long as I work. And then okay, <laughs> but after I hope it changes. But remember, what it is. maybe we can get the people we teach to change it. Always hope for the future. That's what we're in the business of. Hope for the future. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Seems complacent to me. Complacent. Yeah. At one time, whoever taught you was like, "Don't worry." The future will take. <laughs> they will be the future generations that change things. And these incremental, slow changes, I don't feel are keeping up. Yeah. Except well, for the fact that when you read that poem by Tyler Perry on teaching, and the only thing you changed was TikTok <laughs> from Nexopia. Holy smoke! Do you I remember? Know that like what the actual fuck I is know. Nexopia? I don't know. Do you, did you ever hear of Nexopia? <laughs> I'm sure I did. I, 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 I learned about it in the poem that I read that I had to change to make it, like, valuable. I vaguely, vaguely remember this moment of Nexopia. Nexopia. But that's the only thing. And everything else actually seemed pretty it's still... Kind of. Still there. For the still most part. There, yeah. yeah. Well, I, 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 I say long live teaching in the sense that I hope we always have... A structure to provide enough tension to give us something to push against. I like how consistent your message is. <laughs> Love it the is tension. about the tension for you, eh? Yeah. Because yeah. if the tension's not there, I'm, I'm out. You know, like, it's like if you're playing soccer and you're not keeping score, I don't want to play. <laughs> if there's no rules in this game, or if you're not going to follow them, I don't want to play. But I want to push those rules as far as I can, right? I want to have fun with it. I want it to be fun for me. And I want, because I know, and, and I know, I think in one of those poems I mentioned, like, the, the poet mentioned, like, 28 to 30 students in a class. Now it's, like, 42 students in a class, oh, right? Oh, God, yeah. Like, 33 just pack them in. 33 is a low number. Yeah. You're like, great, only 33 kids today. We're going to have to start getting those double-decker desks, <laughs> <laughs> bunk bed desks. <laughs> oh, yikes. But, like... I'm, I'm, I'm going to walk into that and I'm going to recognize the absurdity of it. I'm going to recognize the inconsistencies, the hypocrisy, and all the things that I hate about the institution of education. I'm going to teach regardless. You know, like Sisyphus, I'm going to keep pushing that boulder up that hill because that's what I came here to do. Who's the god of mine? Who's the god of money and greed? Who's that one? I don't know. More like that one than I'm. There just isn't like, really no like. Rock, I'm pushing, no challenge. It's just like. To be fair, Sisyphus just, never makes his rock they're, up they're the hill. God. I think that's what you're talking about. Like, you'll never make it to the top. You no. just keep pushing. Yeah. It's that tension. Yeah, and you've got to recognize the futility. I like that you, you embrace that. Yeah, recognizing the futility of it, and you can live with that. You would literally just be chaos. Like he yeah. wasn't a god per se, but it's kind of like in Greek mythology mm. in the beginning there was just like chaos yes. that's you okay yeah I, yeah and then from <laughs> chaos gaia gaia that sounds like you. and uranus oh. oh that's definitely you. they had sex how'd you pronounce that uranus okay could be uranus yeah he's dry it's uranus <laughs> uh, i've heard it pronounced uranus i've heard it too um <laughs> gaia and uranus have sex what? and that separates the old that separates like the sky and the mm. earth, and then from that, Kronos is born. Is born, but you are uh, you're chaos. Just <laughs> better than being uh, Kronos. Up. Yeah. 
Well, Kronos gets killed by Zeus. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Thank goodness. And who are you there, Evan? Don't say oh, Zeus. I'm not Don't Zeus. Give me, I'm Dionysus. <laughs> the, god of, Dionysus. the god of wine and partying <laughs> and nice. having a good time. Right? Men are women. Women are men. We all just have a party. That's me. Let's just go for it. <laughs> right? I'm the Chevalier de Dionysus, the horse of Dionysus. Let's just go for it. You know what I hope, though? Like, we're... I don't know. We're not even halfway through our careers, are we? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Oh, gosh. Are you keeping track? I am, which means you are more than halfway through. Yeah. Really? I'm at, yeah. yeah, I'm at half too. Oh, yeah. my. Okay. Well, I hope that for the second half of our careers... Oh, we're past the second half, my friend. Well... You don't know maybe. how far deep you are. <laughs> I like, might be like... I might be 90% done. I don't know if I'm going to make it through next year. I don't know. <laughs> I might get myself fired. <laughs> Just to do it. Good. There's always a space for you at an unnamed junior high school. But KG, w- step out of the fucking way. <laughs> yeah. I want to live. I like. We got to teach on the edge. You have to teach on the edge. You have to. Like, and I don't think you've lost it. You saw. You've said that you have, but I don't think you have. And Evan, I don't think you have either. I think it's that edge that you teach on, where there's always like it's always a precipice. You all, you never know where the next moment is going to take you. And there has to be that element of danger, That's right? That's just called bad planning, though. <laughs> <laughs> I think the real danger... <laughs> the next topic is, um... DPA. Like... <laughs> oh, see, do we still do that? I don't do you still that. use that? Is no, that a thing? No, no. I was just referencing something for us. For Daily us, physical activity. Are you fucking kidding me? No, I've no, seen no, no, some no, no, classes no, no, no. outside you know every day outside? for you know the last, outside? like, month. Science! You want to know why? I believe like, it. I believe hey, it. Can we go outside? No. Fucking <laughs> sit down. We're learning about Shakespeare. Sit down. But the other classes outside, yeah, they've been outside for the past four months. Calm mm-hmm. down. And how relevant yeah, can the movie Flubber on. be that to the science curriculum? Man, did they learn <laughs> But, yeah, okay. Their kids we are rolling to. in the grass down a hill. Right? And then they document. Do you remember that? Did you see the, you didn't see the documentation. Oh, grass yeah, stains. Yeah, yeah. That's why they had to do it like four Friction. times in a row. Repetition, right? Well, we, I did a lot of outside poetry writing this year, right? But uh, <laughs> I, I think it's that, uh, it's that tension between rules. So I think if we can continue to work within the structure, it doesn't matter what it is because we can always push the boundaries of it. We can create our own rules within those rules and um, in doing so, keep that passion. Um, and that's it. About why the we teach, The moment you become complacent, yeah. or the moment you lose, like, even a spark of passion, that's Ooh. the moment I'll stop teaching. Is when I'm, like, not excited to go to school, or when I'm, like, not excited to share knowledge or have kids learn, then I will, like, I'll, I'll call in and just say I quit. Yeah. Because that's the only reason to teach. Yeah. It's that just when I get pension. jaded, I think. I'm not jaded yet. I think what keeps me from being jaded is when I log on to my bank account, I stare down at the numbers, and I think, oh my god, this is, this is amazing mm-hmm. that I'm being paid to hang out with people. Okay, and that's kind of the thing too, like let's and think about this. People. Like, like I, you know, curriculum aside, all these things, it's a pretty sweet situation yeah. to be with people and have the opportunity to influence them and be a part of their lives. Sometimes you stand out as special and bring them something special inspired. Mm-hmm. There have been so many times I look at my bank account every month and I'm just like, 
I can't believe I get paid to do what I do because yeah. you know what? It doesn't feel like work to me. Not anymore. It, I, it doesn't feel like I don't enjoy it. Like, and honestly, if I got paid less, I think I would still do the job I do. Because there's yeah. there's an enjoyment there. It there just is. Yeah. You know, and that's that's all there is to it. And the moment I stop enjoying teaching is the moment I walk away from it. Because well, that's probably not the moment I walk away from it, but. Uh, but when I reach my pensionable years, <laughs> absolutely, that's when I walk. I'm out, you know. <laughs> well, and you gotta hate parts of it. You gotta hate parts of it. The bureaucratic bullshit. Yeah. That's the only part I hate. Yeah. But that's across the board, I guess, in any job you do. Yeah. Always. And I guess it's more like I'm not railing against teaching or education or all those things. It's humans, I guess, in our general nature, to take something and complicate it and make it. Full of tension that you uh -huh. like, but full of tension that I That's because he likes to fight against the tension, like Sisyphus, <laughs> fighting against that yeah. goddamn rock that just won't go up the hill. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I'm like that guy floating in the raft, that god with money in his raft, he just floats the easy path. I got a question for you. Yeah. What are you willing to get fired for Ugh. in your job? Uh, what is a stand that you would take? Either of you. All right. So I think like you, if there was a chance that like, if I thought I was doing something that was good for a student and like admin or the higher ups told me I could not do that, mm -hmm. right? Like let's say I had um, an ATA poster that yeah. had like um, one of those... Um, gay or lesbian clubs or or things like that yeah right and because i completely fuck you're if you're gay you're lesbian you're trans it doesn't matter i mean the moment the world becomes a better place is when you're able to be who you actually are mm -hmm. so i don't care what you are i care that you're a good person and if like i think like many people if i were told like you can't support a student for being trans or for being gay or for being lesbian, mm -hmm. I, I would get fired for that. I'd say, well, that's unacceptable because now you're just like denying the dignity and the humanity of this person. Honestly, like, absolutely mm -hmm. I would, yeah. Damn, okay. Well, seriously. Let me think about the hill I'd die on here. Just give me a second. <laughs> that was a good example. Hmm. There's, well, yeah, once across the principles. Once it crosses the line of like a very personal you're wronging, principle, like especially children, you're wronging, yeah, and you're you're messing up, you're you're fucking up their brains with your whack ideas, yeah, right? You're like you're not allowed to be these things, yeah. In your case, absolutely, I'd I'd happily die on that hill because it's doing my job though. I'm doing it because mm -hmm. in the end, when we all finish off this argument, I'll be like, you hired me to teach these kids values, yep, curriculum and everything else, mm -hmm. and so that's what I'm doing. Exactly. And, uh, right? And so in that way, you want to fire me for doing my job. Yeah. But I don't know. Like, it's just me doing my job. Right? I'm not doing it. Like, if you didn't pay me, I don't die on that hill. And that's horrible truth. Like, mm -hmm. I'm only there <laughs> because it's the greatest job financially for me. And no. if you don't pay enough, and this is, this is where it all kind of, I'm, I'm aiming at something here. Um, as the price goes down on a teacher you get a teacher commensurate with that salary. Yeah. Okay? Mm -hmm. So, I don't know. There is an inverse relationship between how much you pay me and the best you get out of it. Yeah. 
And if you're just paying me the bare minimum and I'm just scraping by and all those things, that's the type of person that you're going to pass on to future generations. Yeah. That said, if I'm so rich <laughs> that like I don't have proper values, that's again, me teaching from a, a place that's not connectable to label. So, yeah, I'm about, I'll die on any hill you pay me to die on, <laughs> right? And then when it comes personal, there are certain personal situations that, yeah, um, and that's just me, right? That's just, me as a human, mm -hmm. there's gonna be circumstances that I can't exactly like, explain. Yeah, there are times I'd give in. When if all so money, all jobs, all everything moving forward, it doesn't matter. If someone, like mm -hmm. if admin ever called me on like, the type of text I was doing, I might argue. Yeah. I'd likely relent at some point after my argument because there are other texts that could be taught. Mm -hmm. I mean, it is what it is, right? So. That's okay. He just uh, died in uh, okay. sports, I believe. Um, <laughs> I mean, you know, so a kid can't read Wolf Lake. It's stupid. Mm -hmm. It's dumb. It, it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Um, but there are other texts that sort of get a same point across. But yeah, once it crosses some sort of like person, like, yeah, as soon as you start impacting like who someone is as a person or who they want to be or something like that, fuck off. I'm out, honestly, like, and I'd have no problem if yeah, that was the case. Trudeau like, salute and then you made that English. Yeah, I went the, yeah, <laughs> I went the English fingers. one, right? Yeah. yeah. You got to. <laughs> yeah. And I think you're pretty similar. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I mean... I, well, for me, if, if I'm not, if my classroom isn't safe for every student in that classroom, then I don't deserve to be in there either. Mm -hmm. And I think a classroom is only as safe and secure as the most vulnerable person in that room. And everything that goes into that room has to acknowledge that and support that. Mm -hmm. And no institution is going to tell me different right i'm not going to accept like like the example you gave of not allowing the safe space lgbtq posters to be up in a room yeah to me the very fact that that is not allowed to be in a room is already putting that vulnerable person at risk it's playing with their sense of self-worth Mm -hmm. which is all we really have, right? And if so, if a student is expected to show up to a classroom where they feel less valued than every other person in there, I don't deserve to be there either. Yeah. And absolutely. I'll do everything that I need to, including putting my own job at risk to make yeah. sure that I'm not contributing, that I'm not complicit in that type of... Like, could use the word discrimination, I guess, but that type of anti-inclusivity. Yeah, I guess so. Destruction of another person's worth, well, self-worth. Sure. Yeah. But that's you as a person. That's not you as Mister Infectious. Mm -hmm. That's just you as an infectious. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't feel like there's really much difference. Like, like you Where said, you authenticity was yeah. one of your primary traits of a good teacher and I, I agree I think we can only be our authentic selves otherwise we're just putting on a persona and I mean we do that every day but there's a line you know like yeah. we're always showing different faces of ourselves to different groups but 
ultimately we have to be who we truly are in every situation, every interaction we have with people, especially our students. Otherwise, they know that we're not. I've, I'm an open book. Like, I'm pretty genuine with my class, and if I'm in a bad mood, or if I'm, like, thinking something or feeling something, the kids know right away, mm -hmm. right? And that's sort of the value of being authentic, is they're like, are you in a bad mood? I'm like, yeah, you know what I am. It's not your fault, it really isn't, so I'm just, let's just, just in a bad mood today. Yeah. Right? And I think that authenticity, they can understand you're a person too and you have like these real feelings, real emotions and like yes, at some point we're always putting on an act. We're always performing a song and dance on the stage but uh, it's important that they can see your authenticity in things like what your values are mm -hmm. and that they understand that you'd be willing to stand up for whatever their values are as well. You know what I mean? But they're like your teacher, right? Pardon me? That's real teacher. Absolutely. You're giving them something to model on. Yeah. Right? In a real moment. Because there's true stakes. Which is what we all remember. Right? Whether it's a play, and yeah. you're getting on stage and it's real. Right? Or these situations where there's conflict and someone steps up for you. Right? That's what anyone remembers. No one remembers the non-conflictual points. The parts that just, the, the humdrum... No one remembers the similes and metaphors <laughs> or onomatopoeia. <laughs> They're not remembered. They're not. Because those are things that... Don't steal my word. <laughs> those are things you can memorize, right? But moments, you can't memorize those moments. Those are, they stick with you. Yeah. It's the experience. And therefore, teaching is not dead. Long live teaching. That's right. All right. That's it. We got there. We there. Do you have more to add? Well, hours, but... I feel like we could go, we could go all, all night. night. I'm sure our listener is, is thinking the same thing. The listener's just like, for fuck's sake, when are these guys going to shut up? No, it's all edited up? down, right? Or am I just going to throw this on in? You're editing this? No, probably not. This is going to be like perfect. a four-hour... Yeah, I think it's just going to go. This is the perfect... I don't think there's anything to edit down, to be honest. Yeah. I think we covered it all. I think we did. It was good. Yeah, it was fun. Dear listener, this is our best one yet, honestly. Well, listeners, what do you say to that? No, that's not what you say. What do you say to that? Absolutely, oh, I, I agree. agree. Yeah, Big awesome. hands in the air. <laughs> All right, folks, well, thanks for coming in. Uh, we can continue this conversation, but I need a bathroom break. Okay. I need to make sure that my kids have dinner. But uh, we're either sure. going to return or not. All right. All right.